0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast, that's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are here to break down everything that happened in the world of WWE this week, we're talking SmackDown Raw and beyond every match, every storyline, everything that happened on TV and off we will discuss on today's show. We're still multiple weeks away. I think it's three full weeks away from Crown Jewel blood money in the sand. So there is nothing uh, upcoming in the short term in terms of major events, but WWE does continue to put on a much improved television product that, of course, we will discuss today. So without much to kind of bring you into the show, because there is no major event coming up, uh, no huge headline. In particular, this week, allow me to just get into it and remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about five. So what exactly does being all about the five? Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. It means stop being marks for yourselves. Take a couple minutes out of your day. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, where you can leave a five-star rating for this podcast on Apple. Take a minute. 30 seconds, 60, 90 seconds, leave a written five-star review for us as well. Let everyone know how much you love the show, why you listen, tell them why they should subscribe. The ratings are important. The reviews are even more important as people read them and determine whether they should give certain podcasts a shot or not. And as always, every time we get a new five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we read it right here on the show. And wouldn't you know it, another one came in this week from Big Hip Hop with two Gs, all about the five five stars. Been down since day one ish, and let me tell you, they the twos and you the one. I think you flipped that over, but maybe it's because there are two of us. But all right, uh, Chris is a fantastic part of the show. Love the format and the instant analysis pods are perfect. Adam, you are very interactive with us loyal listeners on Twitter. Even if you can't get questions on the show all the time, you guys are always going to be on my weekly playlist a couple times a week. Thank you for the hard work. Yeah, I do want to address that. I feel bad that we haven't had as many DMs on the show as we normally do. It's a a combination of things, right? A lot of times, if you guys send in DMs that are already talking points on the show, then it's kind of difficult and it kind of gets the show... a little jagged to like stop the flow of discussion just to like read a DM to say, hey, someone else said something we were already going to talk about. So I really love it when you guys ask interesting and unique questions or provide perspectives on things that aren't otherwise covered on the show because that allows us to get you in. So I will be uh, looking continuously as I always do for DMs, uh, tweets, uh, you know things that you guys want to contribute to the show so we can get it on the air Today is not one of those cases. We don't have DMs on the show today, uh, but that just is kind of how the cookie crumbled. We do want that interaction. We do want you guys to feel like you are part of the show. So listen, in addition to those five star ratings and reviews, I have one other request. Please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast. It's where we drop all brand new episodes. We tweet about wrestling, as you can tell from that five star review all week long. We, we answer DMs uh, and tweets even when we don't read them on the air. And it's just a great interactive experience. We also tweet about news and some fun wrestling stuff as well. So please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, we are midway right now through our busy work season is probably the best way I can put it. And that to me is a huge positive because this show has not lost a step despite all of that. So a, a little Barry Horowitz for yourself and for myself for not only getting halfway through the season, but also keeping this up and doing what I would have to say is an exceptional job here on the getting over wrestling podcast.
1: Yeah, man, it, it's a busy time of year. You know, we just came off of the big Texas, I'm uh, sorry, the uh, Tennessee, Alabama game. I was at uh, TC, Oklahoma over the weekend. So it's, it's a busy time. And not only is it busy, but the weather's getting colder. I don't know what it's like in Florida. Not but cold. today is the <laughs> first not. kind of cold day in Texas. I woke up and it was 40 degrees. And every time that comes, I realize I didn't appreciate summer as much as I did. So if you still got some warm weather over there
0: in Florida. Oh, it's so it's okay. most certainly warm. When I when I was in Gainesville for college, um, there was a good, you know, two and a half to three months of the year, where it's certainly not winter weather like you get up north, but it gets cold. It does legitimately. And you're a little bit more landlocked there and, and further north, of course, in the state. Florida is a very long state. The weather in South Florida is quite different from the weather uh, in North Florida at certain times of the year. Uh, so I did get to experience. Um, winter ish weather when I was in college and certainly traveling, you know, when we go to uh, the college football playoff or certain events and I get out of state, you know, there's been occasions where I've experienced really cold weather recently. But I'll tell you something in South Florida, it does not get as cold as it used to. And there's probably a pretty good reason for that environmentally. Um, for but, yeah, yeah, numerous good reasons for that. Uh, but we are winter. It used to go from like end of November until like late February, something like that. And now I feel like it's like early January to late February like it's a very truncated window so uh, i don't get to enjoy the cold weather here i have a closet of probably 10 sweatshirts that i never wear even when it gets cold i i want to i want to feel and experience the cold right i don't want to like get warm when i'm supposed to be cold so yeah i have a closet it's like my third closet like in a spare bedroom of sweaters and hoodies and stuff i just never wear them cuz it's getting ridiculous here in south florida
1: i i moved from michigan to texas and every time um we get a winter it gets cold here i'm reminded oh yeah that's why i don't really want to move back <laughs> because i'd rather i'd much rather deal with 100
0: degrees than uh 20 degrees but it still just gets i mean now. obviously especially when your uh, electrical system isn't working it still gets really cold in texas though right
1: yeah yeah it depends on whether or not the the electrical grid is up for the day you know normal stuff
0: yeah i'd like to experience i mean i don't i don't necessarily want to move because all my friends and family are here but like I would love to live somewhere where I truly experience all of the seasons as they're meant to be experienced. I'm not saying I want to live in like Buffalo where I get blizzards and shit like that. Yeah. But it would be cool to like live in, I don't know, like in North Carolina or Maryland or, or you know, something like that where you see the leaves change and do all that. I've never had that experience in my entire life.
1: Yeah, so. it's uh, it, it, it's fun. Michigan summers are great. The fall, the, the spring, the summer is there when it gets up to like into the 80s. That's like perfect. It, it, it really isn't. That's why I try to get up, back up there, see family up bunch, to
0: the so. 80s in summer. We're, we're rocking almost 30 degrees hotter down here in South Florida. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, it's quite different. Look, we, we got a lot to talk about on today's show. As always, you know, of course, covering uh, Smackdown and Raw. the vast majority of that today is actually going to be in the good, the bad and the ugly, largely because not a lot happened Uh, With the bloodline this week, which was nice for a change. I saw people kind of criticizing it. I thought it was refreshing. Uh, So, before we get into the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, a couple WWE kind of adjacent topics to discuss. The first that we should note is Triple H uh, reportedly contracted COVID 19 and he missed Raw on Monday night. He's also going to miss NXT this week. That's according to multiple reports. I don't believe he's normally at NXT on a weekly basis, but seeing as this is the go home to Halloween Havoc, a reminder we will have a Halloween Havoc Ultimate Preview on our next episode. Uh, So given that, he was probably, I would say, supposed to be there. Uh, So I wish him the best, of course. Reports are that he's fine. Uh, Nothing has been said about SmackDown on Friday or Raw next Monday. So at this point, it's kind of a wait and see approach. But it is uh, something I wanted to mention off the top. A larger, uh, though, conversation, Chris, was a report out there about WWE's upcoming plans for its premium live events. Um, the headline of that report or of those reports is that day one, which was introduced last year on New Year's Day, uh, has been canceled this year. It was set to you know, basically be a reprieve uh, in Atlanta around January 1st, something like that. Now, apparently this cancellation is due to conflicts with football, the NFL and college football. And you and I have been talking about that on here for the last year about how it's a really smart, you know, date and event in theory, but in reality, in execution, it's very difficult. You're going up against the end of the NFL regular season and sometimes the college football playoff, but if not some major bowl games at a minimum. So, you know, it was frustrating. It, it is always frustrating when like you and I say things, you know, ad nauseum, and then like no one realizes that it's it's actually an issue or something that's going to happen. And then it happens like, told you so. Like, we've been talking about this. How did they not realize it when we and many other people realized it as well? So if day one is canceled and not replaced, this is what we're looking at. WWE will have two premium live events in 22 days, uh, You know, starting with Crown Jewel and then moving to Survivor Series. And then they won't have another one for two full months until the Royal Rumble in late January. Now, the way TV has been humming along recently, having more than four weeks between shows, it's actually not a big deal like it kind of used to be. But eight weeks, that is impossible. It's, it's, for WWE, it seems unnecessarily and impossibly long. And I really do wonder, Chris, what WWE is going to do here, because you could definitely throw a show on January 6th, a premium live event. It's an easy sell to do that. Week 18 of the NFL season, no college football competition. You do it Saturday night. You're pretty much in the clear. But if WWE doesn't do that, I would love to see them do legitimate special episodes of Raw and SmackDown around the holidays. That's when WCW, now this was a pay-per-view, but it's when WCW used to do Starcade in the 90s. They did it like around Christmas time, right around the new year. You could put that on Raw and then do like Clash of the Champions on SmackDown given you have two champions who hold undisputed titles in Roman Reigns and the Usos. That's what I would do if I was WWE. I would do two television specials in a week or in consecutive weeks, something like that. I'm wondering what your solution would be.
1: I actually had that exact same thought and we, we, we didn't discuss it before. We didn't didn't talk about it, but I am, I would love not having day one because just personally, like you said, we're usually busy covering college football and doing something else. (laughs) Having so many Saturday pay-per-views this fall (laughs) has been an issue uh, in itself. Um, But Yeah, that was my thought, too, is do the super show, you know, like they used to. The Raw Smackdown super show when you get everybody together uh, on on both shows. You know, obviously, AEW has leaned into that extremely hard with all sorts of special (laughs) weekly shows every 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 other week. But that's not a bad strategy. And and so I think if if you're not going to do a pay-per-view, I think there's there's no reason why you wouldn't. Uh, wouldn't want to do something like that if you need to fill the space because going eight weeks between what you would consider pay-per-views uh, probably not great
0: yeah just one way or another I cannot imagine WWE waiting eight weeks between Survivor Series and the Royal Rumble without doing something else whether it's putting an event on January 6th or whether it's doing one or two TV specials or hell I mean do a Saturday night's main event on NBC or like, I don't know, come up with something like that. It would be yeah. really cool to have a special WWE televised event or two. If you're not going to have the premium live events that, that would used be
1: to be TLC smart. was the
0: old December pay-per-view. That they've done, done TLC. Had, right? They've done Clash of Champions. Yeah. Those were the two most yeah. frequent in that spot. Yeah. And then back in the day, like really back in the day, Armageddon was in that spot, like uh, with Miss Kitty, <laughs> things like that, or. The cat. I forgot what her name was. Probably both. I think it was both. Anyway, uh, another part to at least one of these reports is that WWE is potentially moving away from some of their more thematic events based on match types. And I presume what that means would be like Money in the Bank, Hell in a Cell, and TLC and not the Royal Rumble. I personally would also keep Elimination Chamber, which is a really good fit for that blood money spot in February. It's a really appropriate lead into WrestleMania, like a last chance to either be a number one contender or defend the title in a situation where it can change before the show. There's a lot of really good booking reasons to continue doing Elimination Chamber. And I will say, though, Chris, if this happens, if we do finally get rid of Hell in a Cell and TLC and some of this stuff, it's another awesome move by Triple H, because we've talked about this before. Matches like Hell in a Cell, Tables, Ladders and Chairs, you know, now the Fight Pit, whatever the case might be, they need to occur organically, like at different spots of the calendar as a result of feuds that necessitate stipulations that are of a more extreme variety, not just to fit a scheduled show. So if this does happen, it would be a welcome change. And it would also be cool to get new and better branding for some of these premium live events that when they roll around and you see Hell in a Cell or extreme rules, you're kind of just like, oh, it's that time. And okay, now what Hell in a Cell match are we gonna get? Or what two Hell in a Cell matches are we gonna get? So if this is true, if this reporting is accurate, I'm actually excited by that change. I am too,
1: and it, like you just mentioned, Armageddon. I mean, this is this is this would be the opportunity to bring back Armageddon, Vengeance, No Way Out. You know, some of the some of these things from from back in the day, which, um, which I liked. I, I, I no mercy. I know they brought back No Mercy a couple of years ago one time. I think so. Uh, I I've always preferred that. If you're going to do the thematic name pay per view. I think you just, you really have to lean into it. You actually would do what they did extreme rules, which is everything has a stipulation, but otherwise hell in the cell is a pay-per-view. Yeah. You know, uh, some of the other ones, not so much Royal rumble is obviously its own thing. Survivor series its own thing, but, um, I, I I like it. I think in general, a lot of the pay-per-view names are kind of boring. Um, and so this would be a, I I think a good way to get back to just it, 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 do be are are, are people going to remember the old names? I don't know, but I just I I always liked those more. It made them sound more important, you know, than than ex, than Extreme Rules. Well, they were the, they like were that.
0: thematic. They had sets like it was, you know what yes. I mean. It was it was cool and different. Now it's like the same homogenous logos and Extreme Rules. You know you're going to get stuff. Now this year was a surprise with Extreme Rules. What they what they did every single match having a stipulation. But you know when Extreme Rules comes around, well, there's going to be an Extreme Rules match. Well. There's going to be two Hell in a Cell matches. There's going to, you know, so on and so forth. So I like the idea of removing those names more so because it creates you know, flexibility and creative and booking to put some of these matches in better spots throughout the course of the year where all of a sudden, wow, now you have a, a world championship Hell in a Cell match main eventing No Mercy in May as mm-hmm. opposed to waiting until it's appropriate for that show to have the Hell in a Cell match. It just makes so much more sense. What I would do is I'd get rid of everything except for um, Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, War Games, whatever the hell they're doing there, and Elimination Chamber, including I would get rid of Money in the Bank. I know it's like Hmm. the big five pay-per-view now for WWE. I get it. But what I loved was the way Money in the Bank was initially conceptualized as WrestleMania matches. You now have two nights of WrestleMania. do a men's match one night, You do a women's match the other night. You could theoretically do a cash-in. You don't have to, whatever the case. But you have those special events. So now, whether it's men or women, right? You have multiple women's title matches. You have two for the singles. You have a tag team match. You have a women's Money in the Bank match. That's four women's matches, two on each show. You could do more if, you know, there's a legend or there's other reasons to do it. But you're done. Like, think about that. You have four really strong women's matches, two on each show. And then for the men, you obviously have the titles and all the other things going on. But to be able to put that men's Money in the Bank match on a WrestleMania as like the first match to open night one or night two, I mean, that's just an incredible spectacle. So that really builds up WrestleMania. That is what I would do if I was, if I had the book, if I had the creative uh, card in WWE and I can go back to scheduling things, I would put Money in the Bank back with WrestleMania.
1: I wouldn't just because WrestleMania is its own thing and it doesn't need anything more. And and I I like I like Money in the Bank kind of where it is. It it really like it is kind of a big five. And honestly, just looking through what the the pay per view kind of
0: situation. Well, it didn't sell. Let me let me put it years. this way: It didn't sell well enough to be to be a big show this year. You know, it was supposed to be a big five or no, a big but it, it was. And it didn't sell. The one
1: they tried to they tried to do July Fourth the same day as a. There UFC were many. Show, right?
0: There were many issues with the way <laughs> with the way yeah. they scheduled it and promoted it. Many issues but it still didn't sell at the end of the day.
1: It doesn't need to be a stadium show. Survivor series is not a stadium show. that's as I'm looking through kind of the 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 just the list of pay-per-views they've done in recent years, there really aren't a ton of gimmicked pay-per-views. It's really Elimination Chamber, uh Hell in the Cell, Extreme Rules and Money in the TLC Pay-per-view, if you come. In Money. No, the they haven't done t- they haven't done TLC since 2020. Um so there there hasn't been a ton but we've had stuff like uh backlash which is fine clash of the castle this year you've also got two saudi shows every year that kind of also just kind of takes away from the amount of shows you're doing in the it does too so it's it's there, things have changed a lot over the years i overall though i think getting rid of something like a hell in a shell show an extreme rules show i think is it would be a positive and make it more meaningful when you do those matches elsewhere
0: but two more things before we get into the entire show both about raw i'm not sure what's been going on with raw recently but The way they've been miking the crowd, you mentioned this last week, and I'm mentioning it now this week. It's horrible. Like, you cannot hear the fans. Now, this week was especially tough because the crowd was bad in Oklahoma City, but it was mixed with really poor production. The only thing that this crowd really got up for was a cheap heat moment, you know, talking about Oklahoma. But to me as a viewer, when I'm watching these shows, I need to hear the crowd. And it's one thing for the crowd to be bad. That happens. You can't really get away from it. You know, you get Lafayette's, you get, you know, Brooklyn's, you get, bo- you get both sides of the coin. But you have to be able to make the crowd better. AEW struggles with this sometimes. For WWE, it's almost never an issue. But SmackDown has been totally good. Two weeks in a row on Raw have been frustrating. And I was wondering if you noticed the same thing.
1: Yep. I wrote it down. Very first thing on my notes okay. was it Brock Lesnar's music hits and there's Nothing. no crowd reaction.
0: Yeah. It's... Until
1: he walks out then you start to finally hear them. And it's like there's no way that's what it was. And and it kind of ties into what we said last week with uh Kevin Patrick on commentary. I thought thought he was better this week. I thought he improved, but it still it still sometimes sounds like he's speaking over a highlight and I think a big reason for that is because of the miking of the crowd.
0: I mean, maybe that was actually the second point I was going to make, Kevin Patrick. I like we I know we said we're going to give this a couple months, but like, woof, man. He, it's just not working in the play-by-play chair. I mean, we said this about Adnan Verk. Um, He's not as bad as that. Don't get me wrong. He's very capable. And I know he did main event, I think, for a period of time. And if you had him do main event, like, totally cool. No problem. But I'm not even sure what else to say. It is a rough listen. Kevin Patrick on play-by-play for three hours every Monday night. I like him. He seems very personable. He's good on the kickoff show. He's good doing backstage interviews. There is something about him in the play by play chair that right now is just not working. There is a lack of. Um,
1: I don't know, just a, a lack exuberance? of edge. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of an edge of like it feel like feeling like it's really being excited. It feels like he's kind of playing a character still. It sounds like still... he's doing video
0: game commentary. Yeah. And that's the
1: one thing that I really liked about Jimmy Smith, even if he didn't have great calls or catch raises or huge moments or anything. He he felt like he was in it with you, like like he he just because he had that fight fight, you know, commentary background. um Just haven't gotten that with with Kevin Patrick. Again, we're going to give it a few months. Just want we just kind of wanted to mention it off top. I thought he, I did think he was better than the last week, but there's still, I think, a lot of room
0: to go. I don't even know that I can say that. But again, this is someone who, you know, I've never met him before, but listening to him or, 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 you know, seeing him on TV, the way wrestlers interact with him, the way they tweet at him, you can tell he's well-liked. So you never want anything bad for someone who's well-liked and and seems to be a, a good, you know, cog in the machine. But some people aren't meant to do certain things when it comes to broadcasting. And it kind of feels like this is in a square peg in a round hole type of situation. And we'll just like you said, we'll have to keep evaluating it as we go. Chris. There's a lot of show left here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We still need to get into what actually happened this week across SmackDown and Raw. Let's kick it off, as we always do, by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. And the main event this week is solely about Bray Wyatt, who was in the final segment on SmackDown Friday night. It began with the glowing door. Wyatt walked through with his lantern and a brand new rock theme that was far less like hardcore (laughs) than his prior ones. He waited until entering the ring to blow out the lantern. He got loud welcome back chants. His face was really cleanly trimmed. His dreadlocks were neatly tied on the top of his head. He wore a plain black shirt and one of those bebop, you know, nose rings, the guy from Ninja Turtles. Uh, The ring was dark and there was a single neon blue light that was on him. So Wyatt exposed himself emotionally. He was grateful and nervous because it was the real him speaking for the first time. He talked about losing his way, his career, his self-confidence, and two people close to him, referring to Brody Lee and also his best friend, who also, uh, I think, died in the last year. Wyatt thought nothing he did mattered, but when fans told him that his words saved their lives, it revived him. And that's something that actually really happened on Twitter. A couple fans tweeted that stuff at him. He replied to them. This was during his 14 months off. Fans chanted, thank you, Bray. He said the fans saved his life. They chased him and they found him. And they were the reason. But as he said that, he trailed off and the entire arena went black. The masked man appeared on screen saying, quote, Oh little one, my little one, come with me. Your life is done. Forget the future, forget the past. Life is over. Breathe your last. You've got no idea who you're dealing with, do you? Oh, but you will. You will. Now the quote is from a, some horror movie guy named Clive Barker. Clearly, Wyatt. He was using his own voice as the speaker. And then at the end of that, the new logo and that cutoff sound whenever he did a promo or whatever as the cult leader, Bray Wyatt, that played at the end after the logo. This just was not at all what I was expecting. Wyatt looked really good. His one mistake was not pausing for like 10 seconds when he mentioned losing someone close to him because the crowd was ready to chant for Brody Lee. And that would have really enhanced it even more. And given how long we've waited for him, it's probably fair to criticize this being squeezed into the last segment and not getting more time to breathe on the show. But aside from that, this whole thing just feels like a big deal. Like it's tough to contextualize it. I can't recall the last time something in wrestling felt as deep and meaningful as this does. Like forget even the clues and the rabbit hole stuff. I'm talking about the storyline as a whole. There's been huge moments recently. The returns of CM Punk, Sting. Cody Rhodes, WWE, the SummerSlam deal with Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar in the tractor. But this is accomplishing something that I just haven't experienced in a while. And the strangest part of the entire deal is it's tough to say where it's leading. And that, to me, is what is so intriguing about Bray Wyatt and this storyline as it's being delivered to us. I did not care for this segment. I I was
1: very surprised. I, I thought it was a major letdown. And it wasn't as much the content as it was the presentation. First off, his pacing when he talked was incredibly inconsistent. And like you said, pausing when people wanted to chant for Brody Lee. And like he he didn't really, he just kept talking and the crowd like wanted to react to some things, but he kept talking and then they never really got to. And there was just speaking of micing up the crowd, there was a lot of crowd noise that you could hear over him talking. It was like back in the Thunderdome days when they would have crowd noise when people are talking backstage. And it was just distracting because it felt like he's pouring his emotions out here. And I'm trying to connect to that. But I've just got all this chitter chatter kind of going around and it was hard to just buy into it. It was hard to get sucked into it. I just thought the whole thing was strange and then it just ended abruptly like that i i I just i thought this whole thing was weird okay we've now had three episodes of television including raw we've had three episodes of television since bray wyatt's return and i know he's only on one show but we've gotten nothing new from him whatsoever we kind of just got this one kind of strange promo and that's it i just feel like not that they're dropping the ball but like People were people really wanted that. And now we've gone two weeks now without much of of anything. So I just y- y- I, I know you had said you rewatched it a couple times. I rewatched highlights of it a second time. I just didn't connect with this at all. And I I, I don't know if that was the point. Like, I don't know if Bray was actually nervous and talking like that or if that was part of his character doing that. But no, that, so was that's
0: I just thought it was odd. So, yeah, that's what the rewatch kind of did for me. So a couple things I just want to note. Um, while I disagree with the majority of your criticism, I think it's fair that that is key to say, because that's kind of what I was mentioning a little bit off the top here, which is
1: we've been waiting
0: all this time to see him on TV and get him on the mic and explain stuff. And it is fair to kind of criticize it for not being more in depth and being squeezed into a really short time frame. Like they gave him maybe like Four minutes, five minutes at the end of the show to do his entrance, to speak, to do the video they had planned. And it was all truncated where it could have been something where he was in the ring, where maybe the whole segment started with 10 minutes left in the show. And therefore, he would get more time to get into some stuff. So I do agree that given there's been three television shows since he actually made his debut, the follow up on the debut in totality has been lackluster. But I think what you might be missing. Is the storyline and the depths of the entire thing. So let me kind of get into that part of it, and maybe it'll help you along, or perhaps it'll get you to watch it again, and maybe consider it differently. Because what I took away from the promo and this segment was a lot of storyline, not none, which is is kind of going in the opposite direction to me. I'm say, almost, yeah, I'm not saying it was none. I just it was or, or it was, little, very little. Yeah. I, I took away a good amount. Now it's not a feud, right? It's not like. He's calling out Randy Orton and going up against him, right? But that's because it seems to me as if Bray is actually feuding with himself, like it's an internal struggle. I got major, and I don't know if you ever saw this show, Chris. Major Mister Robot vibes from this. Did you ever see that on USA Network? I, I know what it, I know what it is, but I I never watched. It. Okay, so even though you know what it is, right? You couldn't or or you won't understand. The comparisons, if you haven't seen the show, and hopefully some of you who are listening to this podcast have seen the show. It is fantastic. On USA Network, it is the last good show that USA Network made as original content. Uh, So please, I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. It has to be on Peacock, I would assume. If you haven't watched Mr. Robot, watch the entire show. It is fantastic television. Anyway, getting back to this. I got major Mr. Robot vibes From this, with the masked guy, maybe being the white rabbit, his Mr. Robot, incredible stuff. The blue light shining on one side of his body across half of his face was another indication that this might be some type of feud with himself, an internal struggle storyline. Speaking of the light, the way it swirled behind the door, very reminiscent of a promo that we saw from Brody Lee in AEW, which makes me wonder whether... Bray Wyatt's Mr. Robot is Brody with Bray, of course, being Elliot in this comparison for those who have seen the show. I mean, if that's the storyline, it's incredible and it's very complicated, especially for a WWE audience. But the real key to this wasn't so much whether we're doing the Mr. Robot thing with the white rabbit, the guy in the mask, whatever. It was what we got and what we were able to see with Bray Wyatt in the ring as Wyndham Rotunda for the first time. And I think that's what some people miss. They're like, why is Bray acting like this? He wasn't, in my opinion. Wyndham Rotunda was peeking through the curtain and expressing himself in the ring, exposing himself and his emotions to the crowd for the first time ever. I think it was a shock to people because he was breaking the fourth wall and seemingly holding in his real emotions, but simultaneously doing it in character. It was just to me, kind of astounding. It's rare for that to happen. And it's even more rare that it succeeds to have a real guy peek through the curtain and then get shoved back into the darkness. That's what I took from this very Mr. Robot. Again, I just cannot definitively tell you if I'm right. I could be completely wrong. I can't tell you where it's going. And as a fan and critic, I'm kind of excited that I don't know. So I agree with the criticisms. At the same time, I felt there were a lot of positives coming out of it, and I do want to watch SmackDown this Friday because I need to see what's coming next. And really, at the end of the day, that's the point of the entire thing.
1: I looked it up, Mister Pe- uh, Mister Robot, not on Peacock. It's actually on Amazon Prime Video. Oh, that so. is an absolute shame. But
0: okay, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you have Prime to watching <laughs> on Amazon Prime.
1: So it, it, my my again my my issue wasn't with the content. Uh, it was the presentation. It was hard to consume what he was saying because of his cadence or lack thereof, and because of that crowd noise that to me was just incredibly distracting. Yeah, I I was, you know, I, I think we were all hoping, thinking Bray Wyatt's back, first promo since coming back, like getting ready for like promo of the year type of stuff, like like spouting some sort of manifesto or something like that, or just waiting for something big. And it just it wasn't like you said it was truncated. It was short, and it what's especially frustrating about how short it was is that how much they have dragged this out. In that they know it's a big deal. They know it's a big deal because they played the entire Extreme Rules return on Raw, and then on the next Raw, highlighted his speech on SmackDown again. So we've gotten way more replay of Bray. That's than more frustrating actual, to me yeah. than actual Bray, and so. It, and it, I I struggle to like, is it Wyndham talking to me? Is it Bray talking to me? We I don't know because he's so good at keeping kayfabe up. One of the few people left in wrestling who who can do that. Usually you, so you never know what is what, and that's fine. I just thought the, the the presentation of it was difficult to connect to, and maybe going back and watching the whole thing two or three times would have helped. But I feel like you shouldn't need to do that. You shouldn't uh, on on pro wrestling. It's not prestige television. You know, it's, it, it's, not, it's not House of the Dragon or something like that. So that was my biggest issue. I, like, it, it is a big deal. I'm still very curious where it's going to go. I'm looking forward to seeing him. I mostly want to see him and not see replays of him again. Like they keep telling me it's a big deal, but they only give me this teeny little thing.
0: Yeah, the replays on Raw are a massive frustration of mine. I mean, I, I totally understand why they do it. And Raw being a three hour program to replay something and take four minutes, one single segment of TV. It's really not the end of the world, but it yeah. is frustrating to like be someone who watches SmackDown every week and then have that period of time on Raw. where it's like, All right, I guess this is when I walk the dog because I've already seen it before. It's good. It's not so incredible that you have to replay it. Like, don't forget, Cody Rhodes came and he was a big ratings driver for a while. They didn't replay the Cody Rhodes segments on SmackDown. You know, so it just it's frustrating to me that that's the case. And also, yes, you're right. Like, I think some of your criticisms are very valid. There wasn't really enough to sink our teeth into. They should have given us a little bit more. Um, And it was short. That's kind of something I said earlier. And given all of this time that has transpired since Extreme Rules, and I know you're only saying, well, Silver King's only been like, you know, a week or a week and a half. Yeah, but there's been three shows and eight hours of television and we got four minutes of Bray Wyatt, which was the biggest thing on Extreme Rules, despite it being a very good show. So how do you justify that? It's really tough to do so. I would have liked to have seen something on the Raw immediately after Extreme Rules if they had done that or maybe even done that, this segment that we're talking about from SmackDown, if they had done that on Raw and then expounded on it on SmackDown, then we could have been totally fine. But for this, for us to wait a week for that, it did feel like a letdown. I think that's the best way to contextualize it. Like, Even though I liked it and I got certain vibes that really popped me as a fan of both TV and wrestling, I still wanted more. And maybe that's their point that, hey, we want to leave them wanting more, but at some point you're going to have to get into the meat of this. And if they do this exact same thing next week or something very similar to this next week, And the storyline doesn't progress, and we don't actually learn more, people are going to get frustrated really quick. It's one thing to tag, you know, drag people along as they're going down the rabbit hole with the QR codes and all these fun little things. Is it Bray? Is it not? Okay, now it is. But now that it's here, you have to deliver on it. I'm not saying you have to give us everything in one week, but you do need to like get the horse moving, right? And there's not really an event right now where. I can say, well, this is clearly going to be the event where he has his first match or where by this time, in this short period of time, this is when it's going to unfold and we're going to get our first major thing. Right now, it's just completely up in the air because we're so far away from Crown Jewel. I don't think it's going to be there. Survivor Series doesn't seem like would make sense for something like this. Royal Rumble is multiple months away. So I'm left kind of thinking like, well, okay, how is this going to build? And what is it going to build to? Now, some of those questions to have coming out of this, are good, but perhaps some of the ones you brought up are not good. And I do think that different people can have differing minds on this and everyone can actually be correct in one way or another.
1: Yeah. There's just, there's a lot going on in a short amount. He's talking about uh, losing people, you know, being fired, but also we've got like a spooky voice, you know, and a spooky door. It's just like, it's a lot, of real and not real things. And so I'm just curious to see if it kind of gets focused down in the coming weeks. Cause Bray is ne- Bray is never very little of what Bray does has felt like it fits on a pro wrestling show and perhaps this more than anything ever before. So I'm just kind of curious. I'm certainly curious uh, where it goes.
0: Just like I always say on the other show, you shouldn't have to watch a W dark or a W Dark Elevation, to understand what's happening on Dynamite or Rampage, you shouldn't have to have watched Mr. Robot, which to many people is an obscure show, to get what's happening in this storyline. But if you have, I think you might have a different appreciation for it. I'm talking to everyone, not you in, in particular, Chris. But I think anyone who has seen that show and then saw this probably was like, oh, my God, like, that's so cool what they're doing. But if you haven't had that type of experience before, it may be difficult to contextualize what we saw on Friday. So hopefully, um, my explanation, which was it's, it's so tough without getting into the details of that show, but the internal struggle aspect of it, a real person peeking through a mask and then being shoved behind the curtain, that to me seems like what this is. And I got to say, it's inventive, it's intriguing. And if that is indeed correct, if I am right about that, then I can't wait to see more, regardless of whether this first installment of it perhaps was not as great as it could have been. That's the best way I can kind For of sure. wrap it up. Uh, one more thing before we move on to our next segment. I stand by my prior comment. I said this, I think, on last week's show. I've said it before. WWE should have paid to license White Rabbit. Like, this new theme that Bray had, it was just odd because it was relatively normal. It sounded like entrance music that, like, Joe Gacy would use coming out. Not necessarily Bray Wyatt. I'm not saying it's bad. I saw people loved this. and Maybe I just need to listen to it again and... Hear the words, maybe those have impact or something. I'm sure I'm going to get used to it. But I was surprised and intrigued by the fact that it wasn't more menacing. And if they had utilized White Rabbit that first time, even just to like kickstart into what they eventually did with Bray Wyatt at Extreme Rules, I just think the visual with the red lights and all that, the impact it would have had would have been great. Because what's, what's so interesting about this, Is that was the theme leading into it? It was the white rabbit going down the rabbit hole, the lights out, the red light, all that. But none of that has been referenced since Extreme Rules. Since Extreme Rules, it's a blue light and darkness and a nice Bray Wyatt. So, is it two sides to the same coin? Did they not consider that the juxtaposition between the two was vast? Did they purposely do it that way? I don't really have the answer to it, but I just feel like it was kind of a missed opportunity to. to to have this thing that was awesome, that was really popping people and not be able to show it on television.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. The the, the music was
0: different than what he normally does. So that, that stood out as well. All right, Chris, with that, let's get into the second major segment on today's show. You know what it is. You love it. The good, the bad and the ugly. All right, let's get right into it. I don't know if that new sound drop works as well as the first one does. Um, I'm really stuck for something that's going to work in this spot, but I will eventually find it. I promise. Uh, Raw opened straight into a segment on Monday night with Bobby Lashley in the middle of the ring, challenging Brock Lesnar to come down and fight him. Lesnar made his entrance. He took a sweet time. So Lashley tried to attack him on the stage, like on the entrance ramp. Lesnar got the upper hand initially. Lashley then slammed him into the post and speared him through the barricade. Now, we've seen that spot a lot, but this one was insane because Lashley lifted him in the air for the spear and drove him through the barricade, kind of like he was making a form tackle in football. Uh, There were a ton of officials and wrestlers that ran down, including Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander, which I liked. They separated Lashley, but he ran around the other side of the ring and speared Lesnar a second time over the announce table. Then he picked Lesnar up and did like a spear spinebuster through the table as everyone was screaming at him. I think the first move may have been one to break the table, but if it didn't, I don't care. It was smart improv and it was even more impactful that he did the spear spinebuster or whatever you want to call it to put Lesnar through the table. Adam Pearce was going wild screaming at him. The crowd chanted Bobby and then we went to a commercial break. What was so cool about this is Lesnar sold the hell out of everything that Lashley did. It was surprising, captivating, intense, chaotic. And you know what else it was, Chris? It was... Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> when Lashley started in the ring, you just had to think at that moment. Oh, we got two big meaty men me tonight. But it very quickly moved into some beef flying at ringside. I mean, there was just a lot of beef out there.
1: There's a lot of beef out
0: here. So sound drops aside, I think this was the hottest and most intense opening segment that we've seen on Raw in years. And beyond the spectacle, it was actually strong booking because Lashley got revenge for last week. And clearly Lesnar's probably going to beat Lashley at Blood Money in the Sand to get his win back. So this was a great spot for Lashley to look like a beast ahead of the loss. I don't even know if I need to say this is good. It was fucking fantastic.
1: Oh, yeah, this was it was terrific. And I liked that both Raw and SmackDown kind of started like in the middle of something like that's how you start a show with urgency. We didn't start with three minutes of here's what happened last week. And so you're like prepared for this to happen. No, you've got Bobby Lashley pissed off to open the show and calling out Brock Lesnar like, whoa, like I got to if you weren't paying attention, I got to figure out what's going on here. Whoa, this is like it was an awesome, fun way to start the show. Love that. I do think the Lashley kind of spear onto the table was meant to break the table. Uh, so kudos to those guys for adapting and, and creating another spot through the table, which honestly made it even more impressive <laughs> in terms of a, a beat down with all these things happening. Always love a good pull apart brawl, love a good pull apart brawl with two big guys who it's easy. You can see them get out from, from security and everything like that. Was it too quick for a pull apart brawl considering they just fought? I mean, it's concerning. They just kind of started their thing last week. I mean, maybe, but Brock Lesnar opened up by just F5 in the hell out of Bobby Lashley. Like, like, that's how this started. This did not need a slow build. We're just, we're going right into it and we're beating each other up and throwing each other through tables and barricades. That's all we want from Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. We don't need a big promo off, you know, like we just want to see big muscular dudes destroy things. And that's exactly what we got. This was terrific.
0: So we talked about the cold open for Raw. We might as well go to the cold open for SmackDown, which was a car accident in the parking lot with Karrion Cross and Scarlett having been in the car taking the damage. So they're surrounded by emergency personnel. Drew McIntyre runs out of the back, attacks Cross, and absolutely beats this guy's ass. He slammed his head into a car door a half dozen times and then he opened the door and was ready to slam it shut on Cross's head when officials finally pulled Drew away before he could actually do it. McIntyre screamed that this was only the beginning. Cross was supposed to be in a fatal four-way number one contendership for the Intercontinental Title, so McIntyre took that opportunity away from him. I certainly did not expect Chris, the NXT parking lot, to get called up to the main roster along with the wrestlers, (laughs) but it was one of those classic Attitude Era opens that used to get me pumped up about the show that was ahead. This. Really worked to finally get McIntyre one up on Cross after all of this time where Cross has just dominated him. And it gave the feud reason to continue. Beyond that, though, McIntyre looked like an absolute badass. I can't think of the last time he was this serious and angry. And I'm even including the recent Roman Reigns feud. Like, yeah, you know, he cared about that, but Cross coming into that feud kind of took his attention fully away from Roman Reigns. This was just. Pure badass Drew McIntyre that we haven't seen to this degree, maybe honestly since that Brock Lesnar you know feud leading into WrestleMania a couple of years ago. This was clearly awesome, and it gets a good.
1: Yeah, definitely a good. One of the, I looked. One of the cars that was in that supposed accident was a Porsche. I saw that too. Uh, I, I could, was really I curious could, about that. I, I yeah. couldn't, it didn't. It didn't look like it. It was the car that had any damage. I think it was a truck. Was the other car that had some some damage. Um but but this the was, bumper the was off so of
0: the Porsche though. They did something. I mean no, you can I just the bu- unscrew the bumper I, I, and place it on the ground, but
1: it Well, I think the bumper was from the truck.
0: Oh, I okay. I thought it was the
1: Porsche. It, it was from the other car. But 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 yeah, this I mean, first my first I first jumped back to the Jeff Hardy car accident, drunk driving, possibly kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think that was the last time WWE did one of these. But this was fun, exciting, great to see that Ed Trim Drew. My only question was what what was the I, I, unless I miss this or correct me if I miss something, what was the, the car accident? It, it didn't imply that like Drew crashed his car into Cross. It was just like Cross was in an accident and then Drew McIntyre just popped out from behind from the arena and started beating him up. So I I don't know if I was missing something. No, you weren't. I was just like, you was like what th- exactly caused his car
0: accident? No, I think the presumption, so you you are correct about the way it was put on screen. I think the presumption is that you know, if we're we're like kayfaving it, that Drew, you know, was in the parking lot. saw him coming in, hit him with the car, jumped out of the car so that he didn't get in trouble for vehicular. I was going to say manslaughter, but uh, assault, vehicular assault or whatever that would be called. He ran away so he didn't get into legal trouble. And then once the people were there tending to him, he ran off from the back as if he wasn't the cause of it and beat the shit out of Cross, because if he was coming out of the other car, then you'd say, well, shouldn't he just get arrested for purposely getting a guy in his I mean, he should still car? get arrested. He nearly killed a dude. <laughs> they don't know that it was him. That's the point. It's plausible yeah. deniability. I mean, although yeah, who, you would you would expect but, the car to be registered, whether it's a rental or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That we don't need
1: to get too far into that. <laughs> I just that. That just my, that was just my thought. Like, honestly, I think I honestly would have even like preferred just McIntyre crashing his car into Cross and beating him up. Just if we're gonna if we're gonna ignore some of it, we can just it. Like, well, you know me. what's
0: just, you know it's always funny about like wrestling and like arrests and things like that. Like Steve Austin uh, back in the, in the Attitude Era and other wrestlers too, They would get arrested for like the most inane shit, like attacking <laughs> someone when they're not supposed to, but they could pour cement into someone's, you know, uh, convertible Corvette or blow up someone's car or do whatever and not get in trouble. Those are the things you arrest people for, like destruction of property, like things that, you know, you actually can or, or give them charges on,
1: not just like attacking amb- someone. Stealing an ambulance. Stealing, stealing an ambulance, an ambulance yeah. Right or like here. a
0: police car. Like, like Ronda Rousey and all them, I guess they did get arrested after the fact when they broke yeah. police car windows. But like they were getting arrested for like fighting each other. What they should have gotten arrested for was – destruction of police property at the end of the day. So that stuff. So you always have to suspend disbelief for that type yeah. of stuff. But it is a legitimate question on your part. That's what I took. I took that. He caused the accident. He went away not to get in trouble. And then he attacked them. That, after that the makes sense. So we're going to stay with SmackDown here because a number of things that transpired later in the show kind of played off of this incident that opened it and helped determine something that happened later in the show is what I'm trying to get at. So let's just. Talk about it rather than me trying to explain it. Uh, Kofi Kingston fought Sami Zayn in a scheduled match. New Day reminded that they're the longest reigning tag team champions, calling the record the New Day's legacy. Uh, Zayn was in guerrilla position with Solo Sokoa and Jay Uso, asking where Jimmy was at. Jay said Jimmy was handling real family business. Sammy told Jay to come to the ring with him, and they agreed not to repeat last week where Sammy lost. Uh, Roman Reigns then called Sami on his cell phone. He wanted to speak to Jay, and once Jay took the phone, he like dropped his head and he was deferential to him the entire time, you could tell. So in terms of the match, Kofi hit a Topic on Hero outside. Jay super kicked Xavier Woods at ringside. Zayn came back with a blue thunderbomb for a near fall. Sammy dodged trouble in paradise, but Kofi countered a blue thunderbomb into a pinning combination. He almost had Sammy for the one, two, three, but Jay did that Usos move that they had done like a few months ago where he used his foot to push them over, reversing the pinning combination with Zane getting the one, two, three. Jay was jacked up and he actually celebrated with Sammy after the bell. And then backstage later, Jay wanted Sammy to thank him. Zane said that he wanted some credit for winning the match. Solo said he missed the finish, so he couldn't really take a side, but he thinks he can learn a lot from Sammy. Zane then pumped up Sokoa ahead of his Intercontinental Championship number one contender match. This was not as intense as it had been in recent weeks, but it was nevertheless the main storyline on the show. And it did a solid job maintaining my interest. Other than Jay's surprising celebration, it mostly kicked the can down the road, but the wrestling was good. The storytelling was good. So it was a good segment. Yeah, it was a notable step forward
1: in the Jay-Sammy relationship. Not not a full-on, you know, giant change, but like it was something new. And we've talked about every week, they add a new kind of layer to the bloodline, into the Sammy stuff. And they did that once again here. It was definitely interesting.
0: All right, so we'll stay with all of this. Uh, Ray Mysterio showed up on SmackDown and he approached Triple H backstage saying he's reached his breaking point with Dominic. Ray said he just refuses to fight his son and he told Triple H to his face that because of it, he's quitting WWE. Triple H immediately asked him, hey, hold on a second, come into my office, let's chat for five minutes and let's see if we can find another solution. Now, we didn't see their conversation, but the result of it was Ray taking Karrion Cross's place in the number one contendership match for the Intercontinental Championship. And later in the show, Michael Cole announced that Rey Mysterio has officially been moved to SmackDown. So Rey has really had a rough go of it over the last three years. This guy temporarily lost an eye. He got (laughs) thrown off of Titan Towers. And now he's trying to quit because his son hates him. Seriously, though, I did think this was smart, not only because it's a way to integrate the Mysterio storyline with the open spot in the number one contendership match, because it's a way to separate Ray from Dominic for what I assume is at least going to be a couple months until they maybe ultimately get into it in the Royal Rumble match or they wind up fighting at WrestleMania or whatever the case might be. It does feel like the SmackDown roster is getting a little too large with Raw thinning out a little bit. But the stuff with Ray was getting repetitive with him and Dom. This to me was a huge positive. And it was nice that they explained a roster change deliberately in kayfabe. Plus, on top of that, Ray did a really good job in this segment. So I think it's positive for Ray. It's positive for Dominic, and it was good television. So it was good across the board.
1: Certainly a good. And if look, if you're not going to do Dominic versus Ray, which is kind of what everything is built toward, if you're just not going to do that now, if you're going to wait to WrestleMania or something, then just move him. That that that's the that's the good thing about having two different brands or shows. Is that you can come up with a kayfabe reason to get to separate them and they just won't be around each other. And this is exactly how you do that. I I think that all made perfect sense. I think they should really lean into or Ray should lean into everything you just mentioned there (laughs) about like it has been a brutal three years for me here. Mm -hmm. I I, I've 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 gone through so much like Ray Mysterio right now is so much like he's he's the idea of Ray Mysterio and it, other than his kind of Dominic stuff and, and he's kind of just a, a bit more of a caricature out there and there there's an opportunity to, like, to tell that story about everything he's been through so uh, yeah this was great made perfect sense he's a hall of famer perfectly understandable to put him in that number one contender spot so yeah I thought this was this was great planning and decision making
0: yeah at the end of the day he's still Ray F Mysterio like it's still him. Right. And you would say, oh, well, he I don't know how old he is, 47. Maybe you can look it up or whatever. But oh no, he is 47. I actually wrote it down. Um, You can say he's 47 years old, but he still moves like he's 35. Like it's it's absurd what this guy can do. So you still have Rey Mysterio. Guess what? You should still use him at Rey Mysterio. Is he the same underdog that he used to be? Should he be a world champion again? I cannot say those things. But what I can say is he's way better than the way he has been utilized as of late and allowing him to stand on his own, have a fresh start. Hell, maybe even like team up with Ricochet and go after the Usos as an interim tag team type of deal. I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff you can do. So I was uh, interested and excited about this development before we even saw what came next, just based on that. So I definitely agree with you there. So what came next was that fatal four-way match to to decide the number one contendership for the Intercontinental Championship. Scheduled in the match were Ricochet, Sheamus, Solo, Sokoa, and the fourth spot was Karrion Cross. But as I said, Rey Mysterio took that spot. Rey started with a corkscrew plancha. Again, he's 47 years old doing a corkscrew plancha. Uh, Sokoa took Sheamus out at ringside with a Samoan drop. Ricochet delivered a Tope Suicida before Rey slid for a splash off the apron onto Sheamus. Sokoa went on a run. Ricochet finally flipped out of a hurricanrana as part of a crazy sequence that he had with Rey. Sheamus then hit the beats 26 times, yes, 26, and the Irish curse on Sakoa. As he neared a submission with the Cloverleaf, Sammy and Jay ran down and interfered. They pulled each other off from beating Sheamus. They both wanted to do it uh, while he was at ringside. The Brawling Brutes ran down. That even decides It also took those guys kind of out of the match. Ricochet intercepted a 619. Ray countered into an insane inverted Canadian destroyer that I have never seen before. I'm not saying it hasn't been done before. I have never seen that before. Mysterio followed with a 619 and a frog splash to become the number one contender to the Intercontinental Championship. Then he cut a babyface promo into the camera. The pop for this was massive. The finish, the booking was spectacular. I'm not even sure if I described the key move right, the inverted Canadian destroyer. I don't even know if that's what it was. It was so cool. It was really, really fun. The right winner. I gave it a 4.25 4.25 stars and an A rating grade, uh minor downgrade because of the inner finish. Obviously this was good. Yeah, this was definitely good. Very
1: fun match, different styles in the match. The Ray Ricoch- Ricochet stuff was great, like you said. And yeah, now Ray's in this spot and, he, you know, he has been, he has been at the side of Dominic for more than two straight years. Dominic debuted, I think early in the Thunderdome era. And they've just they've been together the whole time, never split them up, never did anything. So this is a great way to move him to a new spot, give him a fresh start and give him this title shot. Like, like it, it it everything makes sense. It was great. It was a fun match and it creates an interesting style matchup with a Gunther Rey Mysterio
0: match at some point. I'm not asking for a rating, but did you think it was around as good as I said it was? Because I love uh, I loved it. too. I missed what What was your rating? Uh, I said again? 4.25 A. I thought it was an A match.
1: Yeah, I, I would say an A. I'd probably give more like a four, but yeah.
0: Yeah, I just, I thought it was awesome. Uh, Seamus, I think we all know he eventually needs to beat Gunther for the Intercontinental title, but this booking separates him from the feud. It gets the Brutes into it with the Bloodline, which is something different for them. And it puts Ray in a spot where he can have a tremendous match with Gunther, which is going to make for great television or maybe a Crown Jewelry do it. This is a dream match. I didn't even know that I wanted. Gunther is great with smaller guys. Rey Mysterio is great with big guys. So just top to bottom, I don't know if you have anything else to say, but I just love the booking here. Yeah, no, it's great stuff. All right, so let's move over to Raw. Seth Rollins strutted to the ring with the United States Championship, telling his haters to kiss his ass and his believers to serenade him. Rollins said he was aiming to have the best US title run of all time, and he would kick it off by beating Matt Riddle in his first defense. Rollins said that he tapped out in the fight pit, basically as a strategic move to keep himself healthy enough to beat Lashley for the title. He knew that was coming up two nights later on Raw. As Rollins was finishing up here, Mustafa Ali interrupted saying, Lesnar deserved a shout out for the assist, you know, beating up Lashley enough, I guess, so Rollins could win the title. Ali reminded that Lashley promised him a title shot and he said, while the champion changed, his challenge still stands. Rollins basically dismissed him. He put him in the back of the line saying he doesn't belong in the ring with him. Ali pulled off Rollins' glasses saying, He was his next freaking problem. Rollins said he appreciated the passion. He liked Ali as a performer and a human being. But right in the middle of complimenting him, Rollins sucker punched Ali and threw him outside the ring. Rollins was then showboating outside when Ali got up on him by jumping him from behind. Rollins recovered with a shot to the throat and then he threw him into the post. Later backstage, Riddle was cutting a promo when he saw Ali still selling the attack. Riddle told him it took guts to stand up to Rollins and he promised him that when he wins the United States Championship he will give Ali a title opportunity. This did start a little bit one note with Rollins celebrating in the ring. Like it just, it kept going. It was the same thing. But Ali really raised the rent when he came out. I wish he had a little bit more of a reason for his challenge being overlooked, underrated, stuff like that. But Rollins praising him and then sucker punching him was a really smart way to build the feud because it plays into what fans say about Ali, that he's a really good person and likable and a good husband and father and the stuff he represents is really important but he's just disrespected and he never gets the chance. And it was basically Rollins almost in that Daniel Bryan role. Remember in the Kofi Kingston storyline where he became Vince McMahon and told them he was a B plus player, Kofi and all that type of stuff. It was kind of like Rollins doing a different, more modern version of that role being the powers that be holding Ali down when all everyone wants, including Ali himself, of course, is a chance. Now I assume this match is going to happen at crown jewel. It should give them a nice stage. Riddle played his part well. I just thought it was really good overall as an opening segment to really get into the Rollins-Ali feud.
1: Yeah, I was really happy to see Ali because last time we saw him, it was Bobby Lashley saying, hey, you'll get a shot at some point. So I'm glad they didn't ignore that. They I, didn't I fully, forget it. Exactly. I fully it. expected so many situations with Ali. Now eh, we're just going to move in another direction because we got Brock and we'll figure it out later. No, they're, they're right back into it. So that was great. I Like, like you said, he, he really put Ali over, which was awesome. Um, seeing them face to face, uh, Ali's size made Seth look like a giant. I never really kind of like put that together until you saw them face to face in that situation. Um, and yeah, this whole segment was great. Had a lot of heat and intensity and, um, everything made sense. It was really captivating between the two. I loved it. Uh, definite good. One thing that's, it's not really relevant to the specific segment, but I, Seth's theme and having fans sing it as a heel has always kind of been a weird thing for me. And I feel like he's never going to go back to his old theme now because you have a, you have a theme now that people sing, but I miss his old theme. I know it was kind of a, kind of became a face theme, the original word it down and stuff like that. But I, I love that old theme. And I hope when he comes back to being a face at some point that he uses it, I suspect they won't because they have fans singing a, a song. And if that's the case, they'll never bring it back. Uh they'll, they'll stick with what they have. So we may never hear Seth's old theme again, but I just wanted to acknowledge it. It was really good. <laughs> well, like, I, I guess just, the... it, it came It came to mind because Seth was telling the crowd to sing a song. And
0: everything. His old theme was fantastic with the, the yes, the black and white, you know, noise like from a television and, and the whole deal. It was just awesome. Um, I think it was a CFO's theme, and if that's the case, it's definitely yeah. not coming back. Yeah. Um, but if it if it wasn't for some reason, then I do agree with you. When he goes babyface again, they should definitely use that theme. But this isn't bad; it works for him. Um, maybe there's ways they can tweak it to make it a little bit more babyface when like the time comes, or like enhance the sing along portion of it. I don't really know, but you do make a good point. It fits him now; it's really good. People are singing it, but if he has babyface, it doesn't really fit as well in the future as it presently does. Uh, so let's keep going here because there's multiple parts to this. So Elias returned in the ring with a keyboard and two guitars. This was ahead of the main event. He said his younger brother's career was cut short. And then he did his who wants to walk with Elias gimmick to like an OK pop. He said the song that he was going to sing was emotional. But before he could play Riddle Interrupted with Bongo's Riddle said he's a huge Elias fan and he used to get zeked up with his brother. He asked Elias if he wanted to hit his bong, meaning the bongos, and then played Walk with Elias on the bongos. You know, oh, uh, walk with Elias, that whole deal. Uh, Elias asked Riddle to hang and listen to his song. Riddle made him promise, though, that if he stayed and listened, that they would play together one day. And Elias agreed. So Elias started playing like 15 seconds on the keyboard until Rollins' music hit. And, dude, that, that was it. Like, this, I just thought, was absolute trash. Like, it wasn't fun. It wasn't funny. The idea was to give Elias some baby face rub with Riddle, now that he was back, I guess, to tell fans to cheer for him. But the fans didn't give a shit that Elias was back. And it made no sense whatsoever that Riddle was suddenly back to his, like, full stoner joking around gimmick yep. before he had a title match against someone who is his blood rival. That they had just established that, In a fight pit match, there was not a single part of this that was redeeming. Now, if Elias had come out and done his heel shit to like really get the crowd angry and booing him, that would have been one thing. But WWE wasted that on JBL. We'll talk about that later. So I thought this was bad creative. It was bad booking. And on top of both of those, it was really bad execution.
1: That is one big pile of shit.
0: So my grade is bad.
1: Yeah, this was a mess for several reasons, like you said. Uh, R- Riddle just being back to cartoon character Riddle was odd, and like we we had kind of moved past that. And I think the crowd was kind of taken aback by that too. It didn't really make sense. The Elias thing, I don't think this was the place to bring him back. You know,
0: it was rushed it, for no reason. It seems it like, it,
1: it was it was it we was talked kind of rushed. The, the crowd was, yeah, we didn't get much of a build up just an announcement. Oh, hey, he's coming back next week. It was
0: literally, it was literally Elias is back next week. And everyone's like, okay. And then he comes back and the second one's like, okay. Like it was, it was a yeah. double failure. It just yeah, was. Yeah. And,
1: and but I will say, honestly, more impressive than him growing the beard back in what, a couple of months? Most of is, it. I'd say it, half it, of it. Yeah. 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 Not the whole thing, but it, it was good enough. Was the hair, like the hair is really long. again? He's got it up and he's got it up in a bun and everything. So uh kudos to his hair growing abilities, I guess. Yeah, like I wanted I wanted more from Elias and for him to just to come back from commercial and he's just in the ring. So we don't even get the like, oh, Elias is back moment. Like they just they really botched every single part of this yep. return. And it's really unfortunate because, you know, we liked Parts of Ezekiel and other parts we didn't. They kind of hinted at the family. They talked about it a little bit. It was pretty funny. And they're just, they are they weren't, they're never like all in on this. They always got like one hand in and one hand out. And this was just, it felt like a very poorly planned, uh, just poorly planned
0: return, which is too bad. Yeah, and like Elias, he does work as a baby face. People don't mind cheering for him, but he is way better getting heat way better sort of bring him back and have him be a baby face even though you're putting him in the ring with rollins and riddle it's just like it felt forced that's what that's what it was it felt forced it was like they jammed him into a segment where he didn't need to be
1: if you were going to bring him back as a face let him sing a song that the
0: fans like yeah and have chad come gable have, have chad gable come out and tell him shoes and, shoot him. and yeah. then he beats him in the ring like how hard is that it's not hard booking. Yeah. this is this is very strange so what's your grade is it oh this is bad it was this not was not at ugly i agree but it was bad we're on the same page so let's move to the united states championship which immediately succeeded this rollins defending the title against riddle elias was ringside for the whole thing riddle caught rollins with the triangle choke at the opening bell Rollins made his way outside. Riddle hit a gut slam. Rollins shoved Elias at one point and ate a pump knee with the referee distracted. Riddle later hit a floating bro. They countered signatures. Riddle hit Bro Derek for a near fall. Rollins took Riddle literally off the top of the post. His feet were on top of the post with a inverted superplex and then a falcon arrow for a near fall and inverted falcon arrow. Uh, Riddle countered a frog splash by opening his legs for a triangle choke. Rollins hit a lifted power bomb. Lifted buckle bomb and a sit-down power bomb, but Riddle just kept staying locked in with the triangle choke. Rollins was about to tap when he kind of like fell to his side and his leg hit the ropes. That break the submission. Rollins outside then screamed at Elias to hit him because he wanted a disqualification. When Elias didn't, Rollins super kicked him. And I think at that moment, we all knew how the match was finishing. Yes. Riddle caught Rollins outside. Then he hit the power slam and the draping DDT inside. Rollins then countered an RKO attempt pushing Riddle into Elias, who had entered the ring for some reason. That gave Rollins an opening to hit the stomp, and he beat Riddle to retain the title. Then Rollins gave Elias a stomp after the bell for good measure. Rollins was setting up Riddle to take a stomp into the title. When all of a sudden, Ali ran down for the save with a spinning heel kick and a huge tope suicida, Ali then stood on the barricade as Raw ended, screaming that he was Seth Rollins' problem. So the booking of the finish, it did help explain the preceding segment. But given Ali was already involved with Rollins earlier in the show, it felt like he could have sat ringside and done every single thing Elias did with the distractions, the superkick, the whole deal. And we would have gotten the exact same result to end the show without Elias. The insertion of Elias was maddening because it was unnecessary to have the initial segment, which was bad, as we just said and then use him in this spot when they didn't need him. Now, none of this diminished the match, which I thought was exceptional. Slight downgrade because of the finish, I went four stars in an A-. minus, But it was an awesome main event. And it was a decent enough way, I think, to presumably either end the Rollins-Riddle feud, or maybe they're going to do something where they do a fatal four-way with all these guys, or a triple threat with Elias while Ali waits, or whatever they're going to do. Maybe Elias does go healy after this and feud with Riddle, given... He ruined Riddle's opportunity to win the title. But the real takeaway from all of this was the hot ending with Ali. And Chris, you said last week you wouldn't believe it until you saw it with Mustafa Ali. And we're going to give you a chance to say whether you now believe it or you what you saw is enough to convince you. But this was probably the strongest that he has looked in a WWE segment since right before his injury on SmackDown a few years ago. Where there was talk of him getting into the elimination chamber and doing that whole deal. Ali going on top of Rollins to end Raw like this, it was awesome to see. Great match, great ending. Again, you just didn't need Elias. This was good. Right. It was a good I loved the match,
1: hated the finish, didn't like the post match until Ali showed up. And then I was like, oh, okay. Like now, now we're moving somewhere. So so that that's good. Yeah, we'll move into Ali Rollins. We'll move in. Maybe we'll move into to to riddle Elias. And this was the way to kind of get riddle away from Seth moving forward. I just I still don't think Elias needed to be in this. You could have picked anybody else on the show to just have ringside or something like that. So that was um that was uh annoying. Ali. I, I think it's something. I think we've got. <laughs> I think we've got something. We're almost going there. We're I almost think we got something going on with Ali. There are clear plans, and the th- set one. So it's done, and I think we're going to move into a Seth Ali feud here. I don't think Ali's going to win the feud, but this is going to be Ali in a singles title feud that we haven't had since.
0: Did he have the U.S. title back in the pandemic days? He did have the U.S. title at one point. I don't. I don't know when it was.
1: Yeah. So Actually, he, wait,
0: no. I don't think he's ever won a title on the main roster. Now that I'm thinking about
1: it, yeah, I think you might be
0: right. You might be right.
1: So, yeah, I, yeah. I said last week or however many weeks ago that don't get your hopes up about Ali until we see something. And I, th- I, I think we're
0: seeing something. He was involved in the U.S. title storyline. Uh, he has never had a championship in WWE. He was basically almost. Ne- I don't think he was ever really in NXT, or at least not for a significant period of time. Um, no, I think he came right into the Cruiserweight division, if memory serves. He may have appeared on NXT, but he certainly wasn't. Um, he was a 205 live guy from the beginning. He never won the Cruiserweight Championship there. He never won the United States Championship. Uh, there was the situation that I don't think he ever would have won the title, but the whole deal with Daniel Bryan and they were going to utilize him. And then it was Kofi Kingston and and that whole thing took off. Um, and then he went right into retribution after that. So no, he yeah, never, he, he's he, never held a title. And I don't, I mean, he's not going to, he's not going to yeah. beat Seth Rollins for this championship either. I think the way we know that the Mustafa Ali thing is real is not if he challenges Rollins for the United States championship or has a really, really good match. It's the immediate feud after that. Yeah. What does he do coming out of it? Is he still featured? Is he still a part of weekly television? If he is, then they're actually doing something with Ali. If it's wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And after this, he just kind of goes back. Into being an occasional player who they utilize when they need to beat someone, then we can go ahead and say they don't have plans for him. So that's the only way we're going to know.
1: I think the fact that they did come back to him here tells me that they did have a plan all along, and that alone means something. That they, I believe, they had a plan all
0: along. I believe they had a plan all along to do a feud with Rollins. The question is, though, are they going to keep using him after? Sure, sure. So
1: Yeah. yeah, he did. He did fight for the. Cruiserweight title at WrestleMania. 34. He did a great match.
0: Great match with Cedric yes, Alexander. Yes, with
1: uh, Cedric Alexander. Incredible. He did not win, and he had Austin. Awesome, that was when he had the light up mask entrance. That was super cool. Uh, so yeah,
0: this is good to see. Good, and to they see. need to, and they need to repackage Ollie. Like I, I, I'm hoping that this whole like I'm a problem. I'm going to be your freaking problem. Maybe that's. The gimmick, um, I think Corey Graves referred to him this week and last week as like the disruptor, which is, again, a pretty good like gimmick. when you consider like modern things that are going on, they always people talk about disrupting industries and doing things like that. Well, Ali definitely is like that. So the problem, the disruptor, he needs new gear. He needs a new entrance theme. He has to do something that's more believable than still using the stupid retribution kind of theme with just the beats and his name in bright lights. Like Give this guy something to chew on. He's going to go with it. I love the look and the black and the yellow that look different and cool. So, yeah, I just hope he I hope this is kind of the start or part of a repackage. And they're just not using like, hey, here's Ali. We can use him now. And then we put him back in the box. I'm not concerned about that. Yes. I'm just saying that is yes. possible. given yeah. what's happening.
1: If, if, he, if he wants to disrupt and he needs some some VC money out there. Uh, apparently, Cameron Grimes is around. So there's
0: Cameron Grimes to fund him. There's a million different <laughs> things they can do. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. All right. Let's uh, keep going here. Uh, We had the Good Brothers against Alpha Academy in a scheduled match. Otis missed a Vader bomb. Luke Gallows hit a pretty cool actually pump handle sidewalk slam. Otis broke up magic killer. Gallows put him into the stairs. Carl Anderson then tried to counter a moonsault with a boot. It kind of missed, but Gable smartly acted like he was countering it and tried turning it into an ankle lock. And then the Good Brothers hit the magic killer and got the win in eight minutes. Uh, Judgment Day entered immediately after the bell. Finn Balor mocked too sweet by saying OC is doing the same old shit that he started the club and he will be the one to end it. Balor then made a six man challenge for crown jewel. And what I thought was really funny. I don't know if you caught this is when he made the challenge and he said crown jewel, he put his hands below his groin, his testicles uh, referring to like the crown jewels, you know, uh, kind of like a mm-hmm. major league, um, you know, the marbles type of mm-hmm. deal. So I thought that was really funny. Very like, smarky heelish, not smarky, smarmy is the word I'm looking for. Smarmy heel type of thing. Uh, AJ Styles immediately accepted. He had a really good line about asking Rhea Ripley for permission, asking mom for permission. Uh, Dominic Mysterio stepped up, telling them to go to SmackDown like his dad. Styles wanted to fight Dom one-on-one. Ripley said he'd rip them limb from limb. So Dom like grabbed the mic and just repeated exactly what she said, which I thought was hysterical. Uh, (laughs) Styles then said that he'll do what Ray should have done beat the shit out of him. So the match, Good Brothers Off Academy, it was whatever. I just can't really get excited by them being back yet. There was something later that happened that I thought was funny. Um, But WWE does have to develop more heel tag teams on Raw or start putting heel singles together because I'm just tired of seeing Gable lose every week, either in a tag team match or a one on one. It's totally fine that he loses. But that, the fact that it's every week and he rarely wins, it's frustrating when there is something there with Alpha Academy. They're, they get great reactions from the crowd. I'm not necessarily saying they should be champions, but if there were two pairs of tag team championships, then yeah, they probably should be one of the champions at this point. So that's kind of frustrating. Uh, the promo segment that followed the match, it was a simple but really fun way to set up the crown jewel fight. And I just thought this was good. A quick correction on
1: the AJ promo on the line he said to to dominic no he he said get your gear on get stretched out and drink a lot of water because i'm gonna do what your dad should and beat the piss out of
0: you oh it was a
1: nice build up to 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 say beat the piss out of you like i actually really liked it i just i thought that was i thought that was a really really strong back and forth promo between both Mm -hmm. of the groups like just really really solid stuff um the i i still hate the name the oc like Maybe we're just old, but I think, I, of the sh- I, I think of the TV
0: show every time I can't think of the TV show. I know. Yeah,
1: I know it, it used to be the club. I think I liked the club more than I liked the OC. The club is Finn better. Bal-
0: the original club. Yeah, you know, Finn, and, but
1: but he wasn't original because like Finn Balor said, I'm the one who started this stupid club, which again goes back to what I said before about this whole thing is that. They're just trying to do Bullet Club without doing Bullet Club. And right. You're not going to actually have Bullet Club. So it just kind of makes the whole thing awkward. But it's
0: not even Bullet Club because they are three people. So it's not a faction, you know, wreaking havoc. The truth yeah. is Judgment Day, not neither. Of the, I want to make it very clear. Neither of these groups is Bullet Club. But if either of them was closer to it, it's Judgment Day. Yes. Yes. So it was, you know, it was I, I
1: don't love the name. I did like I don't know if the music they had was new or not, but it felt I new. And think I think it was I liked it.
0: I'm not sure. I, I, I it was good. It. I liked it either way. Yeah, I liked, yeah. I
1: liked it too. Um, good to see them come back, get a win, establish them. I'm not so into them in this setting. We'll get into in a minute the other thing that they did. Mm-hmm. But uh, this was still a really good segment. I, I thought the post-match between the two groups, teams, not quite both factions, was uh, Judgment very, very Day is a faction. They are a faction. You, well, right. They're, it's not two factions. So, so. Right. One is a faction. One is a group. Very good back and forth.
0: Yeah, faction group warfare, I guess is the best way we can, we can put it. So the segment that you're mentioning that I alluded to. Uh, so between this stuff that we just talked about and the Styles-Dominic match that happened later in the show, Cameron Grimes made his main roster TV debut, and he asked the Good Brothers to be his partners for his NXT showdown with Schism. So for those who don't know, uh, Cameron Grimes is involved in this feud with a trio of people in NXT, and he's kind of a loner. No one has his back. He can't really trust anyone in NXT. So he said he would go to Raw or he said he would go to the main roster and get some partners for their match on Tuesday. So he basically asked the Good Brothers to be his partners. Gallows was all about it because he knew that Grimes is a crypto millionaire and the Good Brothers (laughs) always put money first. It's always about the dollar. And then Carl Anderson basically agreed and Styles was kind of aggravated at them for like taking the match because they were putting money in front. But they're like, hey, that's what we always do. You know us, we're the same dudes. And then Carl Anderson was like, Hey, AJ, when we're done with tonight, let me sell your vest on eBay to make more money. So the whole thing played into their gimmick. And I thought it was hysterical. Like at first I was like, why is Cameron Grimes asking the Good Brothers? Like he can't really find a better team on Raw to utilize. And then like as soon as it started transpiring, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. So it was really smart, really well done and executed. It was good. This was very
1: funny. And this is the kind of stuff I want to see from the good brothers at the OC. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like this, like
0: uh,
1: Gallows and Anderson on BTE when they were in, uh, when they were in kind of in impact slash ROH or AEW, whatever they were hilarious. And they're just kind of their backstage talking conversations. Like they're really funny dudes just winging it too. Like, and obviously it's not going to be as crude as they were on, on, on AWPT talking about, you know, just stuff they do with their dicks and stuff. They're really, <laughs> they're, they're really funny. And this, was, this, I thought this segment right here, was like, this is what they should be just like doing funny stuff backstage
0: DX adjacent, you don't, adjacent
1: kind you, of, you, don't, like, you yeah. or like eight or like eight, APA kind of too. Yes, like, like,
0: yes, a combination. That's what
1: yeah. they're, they're they're kind of being bought to be protection here for Cameron Grimes. Kind of like they're really funny, and I think that would get them over in in entertaining more than just going out and doing a wrestling match. So I hope we get more of that type of backstage stuff with them because I thought it was really funny. And they've just they've got a a history of being really good in those spots. I
0: do like the APA kind of concept where you could pay them off to do a bunch of different like stuff. And it doesn't have to be all serious, like beat people up stuff. Right. It it could it could be just Miz's Security for one night, but then Miz like insults them. So they beat the shit out of Miz, you know, with Dexter Loomis, especially that's something that is unique and could be done. I really like that idea, Um, you know, but at least in a vacuum, this one moment. It really fit together and way better than I expected when I first saw it. So it was definitely a positive. So we had the Styles versus Dominic match. Ripley distracted, so Dom could have a springing splash outside. Styles had a nice pump handle gutbuster. Dom came back with a tornado DDT out of the corner. Styles ducked a 619, countering it into the calf crusher. But Dom got to the ropes. The referee got distracted with the four guys not in the match, arguing outside. That gave an opening for Ripley to grab Styles' leg, coming back inside the ring. Dom then basically rolled him up right after that for a win in 14 minutes. Styles sold it by being in total disbelief at the outcome, and Corey Graves crowed about it being a huge upset. Judgment Day also celebrated wildly as if like he had just won a championship or something like that. Uh they were all like hugging him and and Finn Balor was running around like a kid. Like it was just a really funny celebration. That was it just played into their gimmick, and it kind of said to me, Yes, they're heels. They're doing very heal things consistently. But this is kind of a little bit new day-esque in that I could see them doing making a couple very small changes one day in the future. Not right now, but in the future. They can make a couple small changes to Judgment Day and turn them from heel to baby face on a dime. And the fans would absolutely love it. They would cheer for the Rhea Ripley and Dom stuff, Balor being a smart ass. Like all of it could work together if they ever wanted to make them face. Now this match dragged Styles did carry Dom a little bit, but he also put him over in a significant spot after a decently long match. 14 minutes of Dominic is is something. This went a long way to kind of establishing Dom and make him more legitimate than he really maybe ever has been since he joined WWE. And again, the way everyone sold the result made it even better. Just consider how much has changed with Judgment Day, Dominic, and even AJ Styles, who wasn't being used a couple months ago. This was good. Definitely good. I've said Before that, the the the
1: best parts of Judgment Day when they are the most entertaining and interesting and and entertaining to watch on television is that they really like being around each other and they have fun together. There was also the moment when Dominic turned on Ray and you've got the classic. They're all laughing and pointing at that whole thing like that's when you feel like they're a group. Like when they're and this is the same thing here. When Dominic gets the win and they freak out for him and they're excited for him. Like, even if they're heels, they're not heels to each other. They're all, they're all friends to each other. So it, 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 it works together. Uh, I, I really liked this. I thought the match was fine. You get Dominic in that spot. Uh, I I really enjoyed this and yeah,
0: just definitely good. So there's a bunch of women's stuff that happened across SmackDown and Raw. We're going to throw it all together here for a little context. Uh, Roxanne Perez and Cora Jade from NXT, they're fighting at Halloween Havoc. Before their match, they're doing a pick your poison where they get to choose each other's opponents this week on NXT. And the kind of stipulation was that they got to pick people from the main roster. They didn't have to do it only from NXT. So this feud and the storyline from NXT bled into both of the main shows. On SmackDown, uh, Roxy told Shotzi and Raquel Rodriguez that she wanted Raquel to be her pick. Rodriguez was all about it. Bailey came up insulted that she wasn't the one chosen, and that led to a six-woman tag team match. So it was damage control against Rodriguez, Shotzi, and Perez. All three of the faces came out on the tank. Roxy got work early. Dakota Kai sacrificed herself for Bailey, saving her from a Tejana bomb. Raquel got Dakota up for the bomb outside, but Eoskai hit a springboard moonsault, taking them out. Shotzi took all three of them out with a splash. Roxy countered a Bailey to Belly, but Bailey ended up hitting it anyway for a near fall. Perez then hit a hurrican out of the corner, but countered the rose plant. Bailey countered back with a bridge and got the win in seven minutes. There's nothing wrong with a main eventer, Bailey, beating a 20-year-old tier. In fact, it probably should have been even more definitive with Bailey, you know, given she's still the number one contender, it seems on Raw. I know the Bailey to belly isn't her finisher anymore, but that should have been enough to beat Roxanne Perez and just take her out. She's a neophyte. If not that, let her hit the rose plant and get the win via finisher. That said, Roxy did get in a lot of work here. She was impressive and the women were given a solid amount of time to tell their story beyond the match. So it's a definite good. I just thought it could have been better and really there was no reason to protect Roxanne when Bailey just could have beaten her clean with a finisher. Well, I I think she... Tried to, or, or, or is that what you were saying?
1: She tried to do the rose plan, it didn't quite hit. Yeah, they she ended to, up
0: winning with a pinning combination, which there's nothing wrong with that. But but,
1: but, th- like, but that was because but that was because they messed up the move.
0: I don't think they messed it, it, it up. It, I think no, I don't think it was messed up. Like
1: I, it looked like they botched the move, and either Roxanne didn't know how to take it or whatever, it, 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 and they just they audible to a roll up or a pinning combination is that was how I saw it live. I thought that did not look like meant to happen that way and the commentary had to say like Bailey didn't get all of it so i i think they were trying to finish closer with a finisher either either way um i just i didn't care about any of this i don't watch nxt i understand the cross promotion between the two but theres there was a lot of there would never been more nxt promotion on raw than, than this other than the time literal nxt was on raw uh so it it, it was a lot i just damage control st- still just not doing much for me um hmm, I just so this that. was it, it bailey's come off some losses i just they're kind of just floating out there to me it, it's not hitting for me and then you throw in part of this is about roxanne perez i just it was fine it was it's a like good i didn't hate it it wasn't offensive or anything i just i didn't connect with it like it did other things on the show
0: okay well wrapping up this part of the storyline on raw uh, cora jade approached rhea ripley backstage um, well, she was like in the middle of talking with Judgment Day and they left so that the women could talk. Jade said she couldn't come up with anyone as ruthless or dominating to fight Roxanne and Ripley. Rhea bought into it because it's kind of best friends at odds and she's experienced that in NXT. So she agreed to join her uh, and be part of that match. I thought it was a solid backstage segment. Not really much to grade, but I'll give the booking a good because it's really smart to have Rodriguez and Ripley as the two poisonous opponents. Strong continuity from old NXT storylines, friendship angles, all of that. This is also going to be Rhea's first television match since June. So now that she's cleared, it's good for her to get a tune-up in NXT. It all kind of fits together. And I just kind of enjoyed the interaction.
1: Yeah, I agree. It, it was it was fun. Like I said, it was a lot of NXT promotion, but like they explained it. So I got it.
0: So on Raw, we had damage control against Bianca Belair and Candice LeRae in a non-title match. Bailey on commentary talked about being friends with Larray, but being offended that she didn't tell her she was returning to WWE because she's been a loyal friend and she would expect to hear that from her friend. Uh, Belair whipped Larray under the ropes for a sliding kick. Uh, Kai held the Belair by her braid for like a tug of war to prevent a tag. Bianca got it anyway. Candice went on a run and used Dakota as a platform for a step up sent on on EO. Belair had a great hot tag and did an assisted missile drop kick with Candice for a near fall. There was a really rough counter to the glam slam. But Dakota booted Bianca outside. Laray then caught Kai with like an extended leg style codebreaker. Bailey grabbed the kendo stick from under the ring, but Belair caught her and speared her over the announce table. That led damage control to take out LaRay two on one with a kind of cool deadlift 360 drop. I don't even know really what that move was, but it was a nice tag team finisher type of move to get the win in 13 minutes. So it was a damn good match until maybe the final 30 seconds. Belair's portion of the finish is just a little bit sloppy. But it was nice to see Damage Control debut a new finisher. They were obviously the right winners given they're the champions, and Candice was clearly the right person to take the fall given she's not being built for anything yet. And by the way, it's okay to debut someone and not have them be successful right away. She doesn't need to be. So I think she's playing her role pretty well to this point. And yes, this also got plenty of time, which benefited everyone, including Candace, Despite her taking the loss, she may have been the MVP of the entire match. It's also clear to me at least that IO and Dakota are finally starting to gel in the ring. So all of this to me was good.
1: Uh it it was good. You know they 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 did a little bit more with Candice. I, I think we said last week kind of like who is she? What is she like all we know is that she's Johnny Johnny Gargano's wife and that's it. Um still would like some more of that. Match was good. I just generally I'm I'm just I'm very much out on on damage control with Bianca. Like I just, I want them to go their separate ways. now. I want Bianca to do different things, get into something different. It just has felt just kind of repetitive for weeks and weeks now. It was fine. It was good. I just didn't really care about it.
0: Yeah, I think the issue is just an abundance of damage control across both brands and not much else happening. Now, I'm not saying nothing else happened because on SmackDown, we're about to talk about it. Something really good happened that I'm very excited about. But you have three hours of raw and the only women's stuff primarily that you got includes damage control. Now I know Alexa bliss and Oscar were written off. In fact, let me just get to this uh, damage control was interviewed backstage. They asked what they were asked. Hey, what's next now that you've done this. Uh, and they said the focus should be on what they've already done. Bailey talked about bliss and Oscar being gone. And she promised to show Belair next week, what it's like when she's in control. So they announced a non-title singles match between her and Belair, air I don't really get that booking unless Belair gets her ass kicked again and then puts the title on the line so that she can fight Bailey. I don't really have a grade to that, but it speaks to your larger point, which is that the focus has almost entirely been on damage control in the women's division. And because they're involved with Bianca Belair, it means two of the three women's titles are all kind of consumed in this one storyline, which is frustrating when there's other women who should be featured. For example we haven't gotten any follow-up on this Nikki Ash gimmick change that seemed to be coming. They they did it over like an entire month. They kept showing backstage her and Drop arguing and Nikki threw her mask off at one point. And it was really interesting to see what they were going to do to kind of feature those women or feature Nikki while Becky Lynch and now Asuka and Alexa Bliss are not there. And yet they're just not going back to it. So there's frustrations for me. But at the same time, I disagree with you that like, damage control isn't working, I think the last two weeks damage control is working better than it has in the rest of its existence so I'm really starting to like damage control, but at the same time I'm frustrated that it's the primary women's storyline on both shows at this point.
1: I think I'd like it more just if Bailey had beaten Bianca like that was just, it was so weird, it should got have got the happened, tag champions indeed. but bailey has got, had two straight losses it's just, I was ready for like alright, they've got all the titles, they're gonna run shit like that's what they are, but now they're They're not that. I don't know what they are now. It's just it's 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 very weird and goes back to that decision to have to have Bianca win.
0: You're right. It does go back to that decision. And if they had changed the title, maybe things would feel fresher. On SmackDown, uh, Sonya Deville was backstage saying Liv Morgan wasted her opportunity at Extreme Rules by failing. And she said, ultimately, Liv does not have it, which led to Morgan confronting her and immediately attacking and dumping Deville into a road case. Liv cleared off a table, she slammed Sonya's head into it like a half dozen times, she kicked her in the face, she put her on the table, and then she jumped off a piece of the backstage interview set for a huge cent on through the table. Chris, as a wise man once said, I believe I had this. This is exactly what I was wanting with Liv, getting extreme like Lita and using that to differentiate her character. I didn't think it would actually happen, but I'm obviously extremely pleased that it's going down. This is a great way to set her apart from the other women on the roster. Give her an edge, just something that she can chew on. It's exciting stuff for Liv. And on top of that, it was a really well-executed segment that wasn't rushed at all. They got a lot of time in the segment to sell everything that they were trying to sell. So yes, this was a good one. That was a good
1: one, yeah. Yeah, this I think this is going in the direction that you called uh, of, of have live become like Lita or just like the extreme hardcore type of person. And it might work. It was interesting. You, you got to move her away from the Ronda stuff and kind of create a new image for her. And this is certainly one way to do it. I think her during doing the um the senton off the top rope, which she did here, she did it to Lacey Evans. I'm just wondering if there's a a different move because it's so impactful I and it's it. going to really, it's going to really injure her hips if she keeps doing that. Plus it's a hard impact on the person who takes it. Yeah, Like the, the, the swanton is like generally a safer type of move if you do it right. Cause you kind of roll into it, mm-hmm. but she's just throwing all her whole body weight onto whoever's below. If she doesn't hit it perfectly. And so I don't, it's not like she can do a swanton or something, but I, I don't know. I just, both of the times, like, man, that's a pretty big thud. I don't want her to I don't want anybody to get injured out of this, too.
0: Yeah, the flying sent and the top rope leg drop, which is what Carmelo Hayes uses. They're both career shorteners. They are. They, they yeah. affect your hip, your tailbone, all those areas. So, I mean, hopefully she's doing this kind of like just to establish the character and to make it her hardcore move. You know, she still has oblivion. She still has other moves that she does. And so that's my hope is that it's specific for these situations, but it also looks awesome and it's aggressive like to do it through yes. a table to these women and again it just it gives her a total different depth and level to her character that she badly needed. It was her championship run was it great? No. Was it bad? No. I thought it was a re- it did a really good job continuing to elevate Liv Morgan as someone that we can care about and should care about. And to mm-hmm. me this kind of just takes it another step further. I still don't really love that they changed the title and put it back on Rousey. I would have rather them changed it and put it on someone else, almost anyone else. They could have put it on Sonya Deville for all I care. Just, you know, not Rousey being the champion again, but perhaps there's longer term reasons for that with Becky Lynch, we've talked about it. That's fine. Uh, two more things worth noting here before we move on. I loved that they did this on a show without Rousey because think about how many times we mm-hmm. talked about Ronda overshadowing what Liv did on all these shows like leading up to their, you know, big matches in their feud. This allowed Liv to shine and stand on her own without comparison. And this was also probably missed by some. But if you watch the segment again, you'll see in the background, Bray Wyatt's new logo was on a road case. The broken Firefly Funhouse TV was there. Uh, there was a hooded figure, it looked like. It might have been a chair, but it seemed like a hooded figure standing next to it. Whether all this was a coincidence, an Easter egg, a specific re- reference, or just nothing, and something that we noticed that wasn't, you know, meant to be there, It remains to be seen, but I just loved seeing Liv put in this position. Uh, I thought it was an indication that we're making some progress with the women's booking that we've been criticizing. Both matches got more time than they have previously. I think it was 20 total minutes of women's wrestling the week before. It was like eight or something like that. And again, 20 is still not enough. And one match per show is still not enough. But this backstage segment with Sonia and Liv is an example of telling a women's storyline without a championship being involved. You put one or two more of those on Raw and now we're back to where we used to be, where we're excited about the women's division. So there's still plenty of steps to take, but this was definitely a step in the right direction. Agree, agree. Okay, so JBL's limo pulled up at Raw. He got a really big pop before quickly going heel on the Oklahoma crowd. He insulted them, their intelligence, all that. He talked about the Longhorns beating the Sooners. JBL said Dominic finally figured out what he knew for years Ray is a piece of trash who hides behind a mask because he's ashamed of himself. Let's not forget. I think Ray retired JBL, if memory serves. Uh, JBL said uh, that Ray going over to SmackDown opened a spot on Raw and he introduced Mr. Baron Corbin, who came out to like an Elvis country remix of his slot machine theme. And he looked exactly the same. JBL said he asked for competition. So he got Dolph Ziggler. He named all of Ziggler's accolades, but he said that Ziggler would have failed in the Attitude Era while Corbin would be a champion in any era, and Col- JBL called Corbin the modern-day wrestling god and said Ziggler had been stealing money from WWE under contract for the last 15 years. So we got Corbin against Ziggler. Corbin did an inverted vertical suplex and followaway slam. Ziggler's famous or got a near fall. Corbin in- avoided Zigzag by holding the ropes. He hit deep six. Ziggler came back with Zigzag for a false finish. Corbin then hit a super kick and countered it into end of days for the win in 13 minutes. Chris, believe it or not, I have way too much to say about this. So let me be clear. JBL was outstanding. It's like that promo was something building up inside of him for years, and he finally got to release the steam of the entire thing and let it out. Was it cheap heat? Absolutely. But JBL is a master at cheap heat, and he was on fire the entire time in the ring. and. Him still hating on Ray after all these years was tremendous. So I want to be very clear. JBL's promo was good, which makes it a shame that it was wasted to bring back Corbin almost identically to how he left only with a new nickname. It's like they somehow forgot the repackage was the entire purpose of writing this guy off of television for two months. Literally the second the music hit, I audibly groaned in my house because I knew the entire thing was dead from a booking standpoint. Why would you not put Corbin in a suit cutting a promo alongside JBL? Why not have him return to the lone wolf gimmick? Why not have JBL find him a partner from NXT and reinvent him as a tag team star? Cameron Grimes was even on the show. They actually fit from a like character standpoint, the rich, the money, the whole deal. Why not do anything different than the stupid flat brimmed hat and slot machine bullshit. Oh, I'm sorry, he's Baron Corbin, not Happy Corbin. And oh, he has half nude colored gear that made him look (laughs) even worse than he looked (laughs) before. It's like someone took a seat out of a car, unwrapped it and made it into wrestling gear. Seriously, Chris, when is the last time a blatant remix on an old nickname worked out? Who gives a shit about the modern day wrestling God in 2022? What exactly did JBL do for this guy? When you use a legend like this, it's supposed to be to give a rub to like an unestablished newer or younger guy. We talked about Kurt Angle with Jason Jordan, or maybe it should have been Chad Gable instead. Corbin is 38 years old. He's not some protege. He's been on the main roster for seven years. He's already accomplished a ton. Corbin already got a lot of heat. Maybe some of it was go away heat. He did not need JBL as a heater. And what exactly did JBL accomplish here? We learned nothing of a new character direction, mindset, anything. This was one of the laziest and least effectual alignment type booking moves I have ever seen. And then beyond that, they put Corbin in the ring with Ziggler for a match that we have seen a hundred times. Why not let him wrestle like Angelo Dawkins or someone young and exciting so that the new Corbin could impress us? He's actually good in the ring. Ziggler is good in the ring. There was nothing wrong with the match itself, but it's like eating Cheerios with oat milk. It's just one thing that's bland and tastes exactly the same. It's a single note. So yeah, I'm going to split this in half. The JBL promo was good. It was very good. In fact, he deserves his flowers, but this lack of character change in booking for Corbin was straight up ugly creative. I have no idea how they missed this hard on Baron Corbin for like the fifth or sixth time in a row as you can <laughs> tell i'm absolutely infuriated by it zero point zero, zero, point zero
1: Mr. this was so weird so this segment i actually i had to watch it i, I mostly listened to it i didn't watch it because i had to drive to the pharmacy to pick up something so i had the had it playing on my phone i was just listening to it so i got the full jbl treatment the promo was great Shout out! I was at the Texas Oklahoma game that he mentioned. It was it was it was cool to hear that him mentioning Oklahoma. Like that's great, classic, you know. Call it cheap, call it whatever. It's just it, it is great. Heel work talking about Texas Oklahoma going to SEC. All that. I thought the the thing with JBL though, and when it comes to him being on commentary, is that he he does all the. Th- things right from a fundamental standpoint but he goes so far overboard with it like non like nonstop. stop like he put Ziggler they kind of they did put Ziggler over as a champion but then he said a million times that Ziggler wouldn't make it into Attitude Era which is such a weird comment to make and only makes sense if you're thinking if your mind is back in like 2015 when Dolph Ziggler was saying you know like I, I should be treated better or whatever like, by the it's way such, it's like, also
0: Chris it's also bullshit he would have been a star in the Attitude Era
1: Yes, yes, but that was the talking point like five years ago, right. not now. So it was just like it felt random and just the Corbin stuff going over like Cor- you can pitch me on Corbin, but he just went so far with it. And I'm fine using JBL for Corbin because JBL's like he's a Hall of Famer, but he's not like a top level star. Right. So it, I, I, the connection is fine, but it just it was way over the top, like everything it, it was beaten into the ground on his debut. On his re-debut, which is the problem with every Corbin gimmick is that it's pounded into the ground a million times and we just we get bored of it. Like we're almost already bored of it after one show. The gear was atrocious. I don't know (laughs) who the heck approved that. He comes out. He's got the slot machine, but he's not happy Corbin. Also, the music was different. It wasn't the happy Corbin music, which which I which I liked. So the whole thing was completely inconsistent. Is this a new Corbin or is this not? He's still wearing the hat. Just a complete disaster of a re-debut for a guy we think is very talented and can do a lot of things in this company and is a good heel in that he does a good job getting booed and like he understands how to do that. This just, just kind of like the Elias thing. Just this felt completely just thrown together, rush. I don't know. It was just a real mess of things, and it's too bad.
0: This was such a massive failure. I mean, again, if the the alignment with JBL was fine. When we saw him getting into the limo two months ago, we're like, oh, that's so interesting. Like he's gonna boost his confidence up and and he's gonna change. And I was expecting, hey, he's gonna start coming out in a suit and you know, being hoity-toity a little bit, and and it would be a way to get Baron Corbin back and, and do something like that again. If you took him with Cameron Grimes and you paired them up as a tag team and you gave them a name and JBL was their manager, now you have something interesting that you can sink your teeth into. But JBL was brought in literally just to stand next to him and have nothing else change. And I don't give a shit that he went from happy to barren. like, okay, yeah, that's an improvement. Cool. First of all, the song, you said you liked it. it. It sucked. It was an awful entrance theme. It was a remix from what they did previously. I think they made it even worse than it was previously. So... Every single part of this was horrible. It was almost like it got worse and worse. And with the exception of bum ass Baron Corbin, which was a great gimmick, it actually really was. Mm -hmm. It's every other gimmick that he's had has been worse than the one that preceded it. I've never, I can't remember seeing that happen in WWE, in WCW. I'm sure there's an example of it, but I can't remember. The lone wolf Baron Corbin remains. The greatest Baron Corbin gimmick. It was the greatest gimmick, the greatest entrance and the greatest nickname. And every single thing that's happened since then, with the exception of bum ass, which was good, but too short lived, has been worse and worse and worse.
1: Yes. And there was something JBL said on commentary, which was that Corbin was only briefly in NXT. He didn't go through all the indies. That's like being a baseball player who's stuck in single a ball, kind of shitting on the indie wrestlers, which Mm -hmm. was the best Corbin gimmick back when he was that brief time in NXT. And he was like, I don't care about all your indie darlings. Like, that's a good, that's, that's a good gimmick. He's obviously not getting the hair back or anything, but just this is, yeah. you don't need the hair. he
0: can still be a biker without the hair. Like there's plenty of bald bikers. It just, it's, it was so maddening to me that they brought him out. They, they took him out. They put him with JBL. And I think you and I were both like, Hey, cautiously optimistic. Like we, we've been saying for a long time, this guy badly needs to be repackaged. He has to go back to being Baron Corbin and he just needs, everything has to be different. And instead, almost nothing was different. I've just never seen a non repackage repackage before. And as much as the Elias thing pissed me off, at least I could compartmentalize that and say, "Well, it's Elias and like, really what's the ceiling there? It doesn't really matter. This, there's a ceiling, Baron Corbin's really good. He's good on the mic, he gets heat and he's actually a fun person to watch wrestle. And they just keep wasting it. Chris, by the way, did you notice how baggy JBL's suit pants were? Like, it was hysterical. They looked like hammer pants or like he was in the 1993 NBA draft or something like that. I have never seen a suit <laughs> tailored that way before. How could they not have taken the legs in? Did I you see this or no?
1: I didn't know. That was when I was driving, so I only heard him. I didn't see it. I didn't I'm going to move go on. on. I'm
0: going to move part. on to the next segment. I want you to Google it right now. Like, JBL yeah, Rock, I'm, I'm gonna pull the video I want right you there. to see what these pants look like. So I'm going to move on. We'll come. We'll circle around after you've seen this. Uh, Miz was screaming, selling a knee injury backstage. He claimed he slipped on a wet floor. He said he probably tore his ACL. He was going to sue the building and he therefore couldn't wrestle on Raw. Miz was selling the knee on the training table later when Byron Saxton walked up to say the custodial staff saw him pour water on the floor and then sit in it. Miz stopped screaming. He tried to explain how it was a real knee injury when suddenly we heard in the background Johnny Gargano yell out, oh my God, that's Dexter Loomis. That led Miz to jump off the training table, clearly without pain and clearly being able to wrestle. Before the match, Gargano told Miz he knows the real story behind him and Loomis. Gargano said Miz could get out of this entire thing if he just told the truth. Miz had no idea what Gargano was talking about, but said now after he finishes with Loomis, Gargano is next on his list. So we had Miz against Dexter Loomis scheduled in the contract match. As Loomis was making his entrance, Miz attacked him and beat the shit out of him with a chair. Then he took Loomis out with Skull Crushing Finale into the chair. Gargano confronted Miz again backstage. He said, hey, all you need to do is tell the truth. And if you do, the worst thing that will come out is you're going to get canceled. But if you don't come clean, I'll blow the whistle on you. At first, it felt like more storyline was added without time for resolution. But then they did the swerve with the attack and the backstage confrontations. And for me, the booking all came together. The creative has been on and off with this for the last month. One week's good. One week's bad. We keep talking about it. This was a night where I thought it was on for me. This was good.
1: Yes, this was good. I, I thought Miz did a great job of being over the top and kind of explaining the knee injury. And he's like, "Oh, it's it's a it's a torn ACL." It's all these things. It, it was legitimately funny. And then the uh, the Johnny Gargano stuff was like, "All right," they kept hinting like there's something else going on that we don't know about, and I'm curious what that is. And they didn't give it to us. And they said they might later. So yeah, I. I thought this was good and I I thought this was interesting. It was it was a funny little bit. I was kind of out on this. Now I'm back in on it, I
0: guess. Yeah, they're, they're paying off the reason for the storyline even happening. Um, they, yes. It was a good way to delay the match and keep us anticipating more. They're giving Gargano something new to do and him and Miz feuding as Clevelanders makes sense. And him and Loomis being aligned, given their relationship back in NXT with the way and, and Loomis uh, marrying Indy Hartwell. That makes sense. It just its continuity It's just every piece fitting together and i just really enjoyed it i did i thought it was solid uh on before i move on did you get to see jbl
1: yes i did those are absolutely 2003 nba draft pants like i'm a bigger Goodness.
0: guy so sometimes when i buy suits the legs are big and they need to get taken in right um i've never seen it's like he bought a suit off the rack that's five sizes too big for him the the pants yes. And just didn't hem them and didn't tailor them. They have a whole crew backstage. Why wouldn't why wouldn't they fix it? I, I, I need to know. Like I, I hope there's an opportunity for me to interview JBL because I will ask him <laughs> in the interview. I promise you this right now. If I ever interview JBL, I will ask him about those pantlet those pants. I, yeah, I don't get They're it. Big. I don't get it. It's, again, it's like he was in the 93 draft or something. It was crazy. Uh, all right. Braun Strowman fought two jobbers. Omas and MVP walked through the crowd shortly after the bell. Strowman hit one dude with the old running power slam finisher. Then he power bombed the other dude into his partner for the win. It's being called the monster bomb. MVP grabbed the mic. He said, Strowman is no monster because he would just look normal next to Omas, who's a giant on Raw. MVP basically said the same thing before adding Omas would meet Braun face-to-face on SmackDown to prove that he fears no man. MVP said monsters aren't real, but giants like Omas are. There was actually nothing wrong with any of this. Like, in fact, I'm kind of relieved that it's being kicked into gear so that we can get it over with. While the Omas squashes have been frustrating, this was the first one that we've seen from Braun since he came back. So I'm actually okay with saying good here for one week, though both segments I would say were anticlimactic. But the fact that it seems like they're going fast forward and they're putting this in at Crown Jewel as opposed to building it for WrestleMania, I kind of like that. So, yeah, I'm at good. I really didn't have a problem with this.
1: I'm giving a bad to the squash. I'm giving a good to the everything else and kind of just talking about Braun versus Omos. That's good to see. I'm I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of big, meaty men, slapping meat. But I'm just I'm not going to get into a squash of jobbers.
0: No, it's (laughs) not exciting. It was just bland (laughs) and boring. It's the best way to put it. Yeah. Uh, Legado del Fantasma fought Hit Row on SmackDown. Hit Row attacked before the bell. Santos Escobar tripped Ashanti of Yadonis off the apron. He rolled under the ring. Zelina Vega took B.Fab down outside. That let Legado hit their finisher, which was finally given a name, Sacrificio, after all these years. And they got the win in two minutes. So the finisher getting a name, as you can tell, I've been begging to hear this. Anyone who listens to our NXT episodes, I have not understood why these guys have not had a name to their finisher. There was a time where I probably mentioned it on every single episode for months, but also Legato keeping their theme is a good thing because when they turn babyface and the fans get to chant it, it's going to be awesome. But despite all of that, this segment was garbage. They went right to the main match of the feud and they ended it without hardly any wrestling. Neither Escobar nor Vega spoke. No one got over or benefited from two minutes in the ring. It was basically a way to like waste TV time. I may love Legato, but this was absolutely pointless. If the pre-match attack led to a Hit Row win because Hit Row was the one attacking, then okay, maybe you can make sense of that. But Legato won. This was just bad.
1: Yep, it's a bad. Too quick. Not much of a build. I still, just doing the, the tag team, It's not clear they're like presenting Zelina and Santos Escobar as both leaders. And I'm not sure who is the leader. It's still not clear. Still have very high hopes and expectations and and think they'll figure this out. But this just this segment alone debuting against Hit Row, a, a group that nobody has any feelings towards, doesn't create any heat. I think that's the issue.
0: I disagree that we don't know who the leader is because when they made the entrance, Escobar stood in front of the rest of them in a suit. So to me, that was clear. But to your point, they, there's nothing, there's no promo, there's no storyline, mission. Like, like they had all this opportunity yeah. and all this TV time, and they just did a two minute bullshit match with the pre match attack. So it, it just didn't benefit anyone. And that's always the biggest frustration when you do something on TV and no one comes out of it looking good and no storyline advances and it's just not interesting. I love Legato. I still have very high hopes and aspirations for them, but this was not it. This was bad. Uh, L.A. Knight fought Man Manmase, these names, it's so tough. Uh, Mase tried distracting, but got booted off the apron. Knight then hit Blunt Force Trauma BFT, which is like a package cutter, to get the win in three minutes. After the belly grabbed the mic and he went heel, commentary did a good job putting him over. The promo didn't really accomplish much. Having Knight debut as a heel, it was probably necessary given the roster alignment in SmackDown. It's very uneven heels and babyfaces. It's just not my preferred version of him. I'm going with a provisional good because as I've said before, I prefer him as a babyface to a heel. He works a lot better. I think he can still succeed as a heel, but he didn't succeed as a heel for me in NXT. I didn't mind this being a three-minute match. Uh, Maximum male models, the wrestlers individually are kind of jokes. So if you're going to have him beat one of them, you're not going to have them go on like an eight or nine minute match. It's going to be something like this. So I'm saying provisional good, not out of it yet. Was I thrilled? I wasn't thrilled.
1: Agree at all points. I'm giving it a good. I said last week with I said when he debuts, it cannot just be a wrestling match like he's he's going to get whatever he get over, whatever. It's going to have to happen on the mic. We didn't get a ton on the mic, but we got something a little a taste, a little taste, We got a, a little bit. Um, he
0: titillated later so, juices on the mic a little bit.
1: Yeah, so and you know like he is naturally I think a heel because he's so brash and confident and kind of looks like a guy he would love to punch in the face. Mm-hmm. But he did do a very good job as a face in NXT in the little bit that I watched back then. So you, you know, we'll see where it goes. I I think it's 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 not a bad start. Like He I, I might be
0: one thing. of those guys. I'm sorry, I thought you were done. I'm sorry. Uh he but, might be one of those guys where you have to introduce him as a heel. Yeah. So that the baby face turn hits right. Otherwise, you're like, why yeah. Why are we cheering for this guy who's so cocky and so arrogant? Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the idea. Maybe it's like, well, you have to debut him as a heel. And then they pull the trigger and you're like, oh, my God, he's over as hell. And that's what happened in NXT, to be fair. Yes. Once they pulled that yes. trigger, he was over like Rover. So. Uh, and lastly, in terms of things that happened on TV, uh, there was another Viking Raiders vignette with Sarah Logan saying some creepy stuff. You didn't see her face. It's pretty clear it's her. I honestly couldn't even make out what she was saying. The visuals were cool. I can't say I'm pumped for, th- for it. I like the Viking Raiders, the way they returned as I, I like the fact that they were new and vicious. I didn't like that they were being called new and vicious. So bringing her <laughs> along for the ride, um, as long as it's not corny, then I'm probably going to be OK with
1: yeah, I just I don't really have any thoughts until I see them right. out
0: again. That's fair. And lastly, before we wrap up, I just wanted to note uh, Kevin Owens, Champa, and Austin Theory have been notably absent from Raw recently. Uh, Ko and Theory were such a big part of the show for so long that it actually feels like there's a vacuum without them being there. Now Owens is going to be on NXT for the Ko show uh, on Tuesday night. If, if he was on vacation, that's fine. Obviously, he does have vacations worked into his contract. But it seems weird to bring him back and then put him on NXT for like this type of in-ring segment. Now, he did a short Twitter video message right before we taped on Tuesday. He didn't seem to know when he would be on Raw next. I thought that was odd. And I know he's probably not going to go to Blood Money in the Sand. I don't think he goes over there, but he can still be on TV. He's been off Raw for a month at this point. Ciampa was kind of written off through the Dexter Loomis interaction, and I think it's for a personal reason. So that's fine. I don't think we've been missing Champa, even though... I love him certainly, and I liked him on Raw, what he was doing. But while there's plenty of good people on Raw, again, Chris, it just kind of felt like Owens and Theory, they're particularly needed there. They bring energy level, excitement. So it's just surprising they haven't been around. So, you know, we don't know all the circumstances surrounding it, but it is something that I noticed last week and I didn't really say anything about it. And this week it became even more apparent that they weren't there. They're mentioning Champa not being there, which is a positive. But theory is the money in the bank briefcase holder. He's gone. And Owens was someone who came back, um, you know, once he did the Ezekiel thing, and he called out Roman Reigns, and he was going after his title. And, like, three or four weeks ago, he showed up on SmackDown and gave Sami Zayn shit. So I just – I'm really confused with what they're doing with him. Yeah, I don't know. You know,
1: with Elias coming back, we were all wondering, like, hey, is he going to have a backstage bit with Kevin Owens? And, you know, maybe they will in the future. I don't know. We don't know what's going on. Kevin Owens is – you know, championship level player he, he changes the show when he's on it and Austin theory has the money in the bank briefcase
0: so i don't know all righty well that is it for this edition of the getting over wrestling podcast a little bit longer than we expected to go but i did think we had a couple of really fun conversations on the show and yeah my uh jbl baron corbin rant maybe may have gone a little bit longer than i expected but that is all good so thank you for joining us as we wrapped up this week in WWE now, in a strange uh, programming adjustment, NXT and AEW Dynamite are both going down Tuesday night, which means our normal Thursday show will actually get produced on Wednesday. So go ahead and about 24 hours from when this WWE episode is published, look for our next episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Certainly screwing with the Silver Kings schedule a little bit, but not a big deal. I will adjust when that show does come out. It's going to be a big AEW show. Uh, John Moxley is defending the championship against Hangman Adam Page in his hometown, Moxley's of Cincinnati. It's also going to be the NXT Halloween Havoc go home show, which means this will be an ultimate preview episode. So be sure to stay tuned to us and get that second episode one day early this week here. One more thing before we get out of here, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. And remember that this podcast So be sure to drop those five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a damn review on Apple Podcasts as well. Thank you, Vintage Chris Finini, for joining. Thank you, listeners, for lending us your ears for this latest edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. This is the Silver King signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.